Empire Podcast this week, we have guests, actual guests. <laughs> Take that, COVID. Yes, we march to the beat of the drum of military wives Sharon Horgan and pour a nice glass of Chato with Uncourt director Prentice Penny. All that and more on the movie podcast that is appreciative of the efforts of Sam Neill at this difficult time, but will have to take some time off to recover after that short film of him and Hugo Weaving in the bath. More terrifying than Event Horizon and The Omen 3 put together. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which for the time is a concept, time is a construct. I have no idea what day it is. I have no idea what date it is. I'm pretty sure it's April, but I'm also pretty sure this is the fourth week in a row that we're doing this remotely. Am I correct? My three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Geek Queen Helen O'Hara. I don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> What what was the world before this time? Why Who am I we? asking you? Why am I asking you? James Dyer, what, what day is it? What year is it? Who's the president? I've always been the caretaker. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to get some sense out of Ben Travis. Ben Travis. So I think I either left the Empire office yesterday or four weeks ago, and it could be any of those or anything in between. <laughs> Who are you? Who are these people? There's only one thing I know for absolutely certain that none of us are wearing pants. That's the only thing that I know. I am literally wearing trousers today. Not even leggings or jogging bottoms. I'm in actual trousers. This is shorts weather. Well, they're they're short trousers. Oh, God, Ben's bare leg. Christ. First of all, (laughs) how do you get your leg that high? Second of all, (laughs) what are you wearing on your feet? Got like little trainer socks. (laughs) I'm not gonna. I'm not, I'm not gonna be. I'm, I'm not one of those people that wears shorts and then like full length socks. It's not the '80s anymore, Chris. <laughs> no, it just meant you didn't have to wear socks. I mean, you know, you're we're in. You know, it's you're in your own house. You can do what you want. Listen, I'm wearing. I'm fully clothed. I'm gonna. I'm gonna prove this to you. I'm gonna. Look, oh, thank God. Look. Okay, See, Doctor jeans. Strange T-shirt. Jeans. That's on brand. And jeans. some kind of jeans. jeans. Wow. <laughs> You see, look, you look at the mobility. He's so flexible. <laughs> I think it's less weird just wearing socks in your own home than wearing socks and shoes in I, your own home. Yeah, he's yeah. not wrong. That is weird. Ow. Why are you wearing shoes at home? I was outside. When? Yesterday? They expect you to wear shoes when you're outside. So I was wearing shoes. Then I came into the house and I had shit to do. Usually I take my shoes off when I'm inside. But you know what? I thought, you know what, guys? I'm going to be professional and I'm going to wear <laughs> shoes for this recording. Because I wow. feel like if, if I completely shut down, um, we're now four weeks into this. And if I completely shut down and just become some sort of slovenly mm. kind of tramp I beast. Come. <sighs> <laughs> Walked into that oh, one, didn't I? It's really funny because it's true. Set him up, Helen knocked him down. But anyway, uh, how are we all doing? Are we? Uh, we're now week four of this. You know, I'm feeling blessed. Hashtag blessed that I got hashtag in my um, Easter eggs as early as I did because really, I mean, you know, mini eggs in particular are few and far between in the shops now because today was our designated shopping day for the week and uh, believe me the mini mini egg shortage is real um i believe some people have struggled to get real eggs as well i don't know it didn't seem important but you know i've got i've got my mini eggs i've got some cake i've got some cookies to decorate and you fill with sprinkles and then you decorate the top it's going to be very exciting um and so i'm feeling pretty pretty okay for the weekend 
Happy Easter. Hey. Yay. I'm feeling good. We've just got our Amazon order through, which had two bottles of Prosecco, a load of beer. <laughs> and we tried, to, yeah, we tried to get some halloumi for the barbecue, uh, but they'd <laughs> run out of class. they'd run out of halloumi. So we've no. been sent something else that's called Yorkshire Squeaky Cheese. <laughs> Which oh I think God. is like I think it's like a unbranded um, halloumi. Yeah, exactly. I think it wasn't made in Greece, so they can't officially call it halloumi. And it was made in Yorkshire, and it's squeaky. So Yorkshire yeah, squeaky, I, cheese. squeaky cheese, squeaky cheese, love it. You know, have you ever had cheese from the Wookie Hole? I'm sorry. What? Is that something Luke Skywalker does, living on Acto? Is that where he gets his other sustenance from? <laughs> the Wookiee Hole. It's a very popular tourist attraction in uh, just outside Wells, Somerset, which, of course, people may know better as the the, the location for Hot Fuzz. Edgar mm. Wright's Hot Fuzz, and there's a system of underground caves just outside Wells. It's called the Wookiee Hole, and they make cheese in there because of cheese, the unique in, uh, cheese uh, because of the unique environmental happenstance that, uh, ah. that allows them to uh, to make incredible cheese i have learned something today from the wiki oh. see i i am teaching you guys something and you that are. is not how this works because you guys are meant to teach me something thank you helen for the smoothest segue in the history of the empire podcast <laughs> because it is time for our new section controversially no n- named no. No, it's being renamed. No. Fact. We can call no. it the fact section. We can call it fact me. We can call it fascinating facts. You can come up with it. You were not calling it the thing you called it last week. And okay. With the song. Uh, James does not like the, the name fact me till I fart. Uh, I don't so appreciate this week, toilet humour. This week. <laughs> where have you been for the last eight years? Um, <laughs> instead, I'm going to call it fact me in the face. Uh, so the... <laughs> I like that. <laughs> How's that any better? I prefer it. How's <laughs> that better? Uh, anyway, the uh, the idea behind this is that the three colleagues of such lethal cunning, and there'll be another person in the chair next week. Uh, Helen and James are are sadly regular fixtures here, folks. But the fourth person is going to be rotating like like an Ewok on a spit, uh, and oh. and there will be a new person in the chair next week. But every week. These three colleagues of such lethal cunning have to bring me an incredible arcane movie fact that hopefully I won't already know. <laughs> Not to blow my own trumpet, guys. I know a fucking shit ton about movies. Uh, the, movies, that is movies, right? Movies is right? I am yeah. I'm right about movies. 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 Yes. Movies. movies. Yeah. Movies, yes. I know a shit ton about mo- movies. Movies, yes. Uh, so, currently the scoreboard is one. Helen has won one week. Guest number three has... Uh, Won another week. James has yet to win, despite his controversial see bangly banged gate uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I'm going to let James lead off this week. James, Ooh, fact me in the face. Uh, fact you in the face. Okay, here is my fact. You ready for it? My fact here is that Toy Story 2 owes its existence to a baby. Okay. Okay, this good, one, good so far. I'm partly expecting Helen to know this because she's a, a, a Pixar geek, but okay, mm-hmm. bear with me. So, w- during the production of Toy Story 2, when they were making pr- Toy Story 2, someone mistakenly ran a command on one of the servers that basically deleted the entire film. It wiped, it formatted the whole file system. This is 100% true. Completely deleting two years' work for more than 30 people, all up in digital smoke, all of it. So... Everyone, it was squeaky bum time at Pixar, let's be perfectly honest with you. So, Oren Jacob, the associate technical director, he was like, no, no, it's all right, people, it's fine, it's fine. We back this shit up, we don't fuck about, we've got time machine, like, we back stuff up. So he went straight to the backups Uh and discovered 
the backups had stopped working a month ago and hadn't been backing up. Oh so they God. didn't have any backups for the producer. There was no film. Basically, it wasn't the backups weren't working. They had no film. Toy Story 2 was gone, finished, kaput. However, and here's the wrinkle, here's the wrinkle. Galen Sussman, who's the supervising technical director, had been working from home a lot of late because she had a newborn baby, baby Hooray. Eli. Oh. So because she'd been working from home, they were like, well, she's been working from home, so she has a copy of the film she'd been working from at home. So Jacob literally wrapped up some of these computers in sort of blankets and drove them over to her house, connects it to her home computer, and one can only imagine in the midst of many, many prayers to the Almighty, copied across and were able to recover the entire film from her home computer, thereby saving Toy Story 2. Hooray for baby Eli. That's that was amazing. It, not only was it setting off my um, my sort of digital backup anxiety the whole time, but also for anyone, <laughs> well, anyone listening to this who can't see the James's webcam, he was being attacked by a wasp. That whole anecdote, it was like floating around your head, and it was like hovering near you. I could you hear and it. I could hear it side. in the headphones. <laughs> yes, we should say James, any sense of danger. Uh, James has got his uh, garden doors open. His doors leading into the garden open. So if you do hear the the beautiful trilling sound of birdsong or occasionally James being stung to death by a, a swarm of wasps, then that, that will explain it. There you go. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a backup for James, sadly. We don't have a backup for me, but... If, yeah, if the original James gets deleted, we're, we're, we're shit out of luck. If, oh, well, if Pixar always teach you nothing else, it is back your fucking work up properly. But that's a really interesting fact. Not least because I knew that they had, basically, they had to remake Toy Story 2 from scratch. And... But I thought that it was a creative decision. I thought that that is a different thing. I think that's a different thing. It, that's, oh, okay. yeah. that's separate yeah. to this. <laughs> this I think was, it, this came later. Yeah, the, the the first four or five Pixar's all needed to basically go back to page one about halfway through production. And yet and they let the Cars movies through without apparently tinkering with them at any point. Toy Story <laughs> two was going to be straight to DVD as well until they watched it and went. Actually, this is way too good to just be on DVD. We should definitely put it out in the cinemas. Because so. Disney sequels used to traditionally go straight to DVD, didn't they? You'd get the theatrical yeah. one. Frozen is still then... the only one. Frozen mm. is still the only theatrically released Disney animated classic sequel. Whoa. Is that true? Not even Rescuers is that your fact? 2, Down good. Under. <laughs> Surely Rescuers Down Under was in cinemas. Oh, it's been lying and again. My fact may is have been undermined immediately. Actually, fiction. <laughs> is this a new I mean, game where you put out a fact and you try and sell it and it's called my bluff? Is that what we're doing now? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, the truth is I have no fact, so I was, I was happy to have that as my fact How until Helen then proved no it fact? wasn't a fact. You had one job, Ben. One job. Well, no, he has quite a lot of jobs. <laughs> Does this mean we can call Ben a C-bangly banged? No. I've heard no. it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay, so, yes, The Rescuers Down Under was indeed released theatrically in 1990. Damn, so I'm afraid, Ben, you are a liar, a cur, oh. a thief, and a knave, <laughs> and be gone from my podcast and never darken us doors again. So, Ben, what's your fact? Um, I mean, I was hastily trying to think of something, uh, and it ended up more like a brag than a fact. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so what I'm looking at right now directly in my line of sight is, uh, is my bass guitar. And then that got me thinking about Scott Pilgrim, and I was like, when I was in Toronto, uh, I went to Lee's Palace, which is the venue uh, from 
Scott Pilgrim, where they have the Battle of the Bands, where the Clash of Demon Head play. Um, and it's a lot smaller than it looks in the film. They shot it in there. Is that your fact? Um, it's a lot smaller than it looks in the film. It's a lot smaller than it looks in the film, but it does wow. have a checkerboard floor and uh, it's, a, it's a fun place to go. And it does have a pizza pizza opposite. Can you play the bass afterwards. guitar then? I can. Play something for us now. Can you play bass, Ben? To try and make up for the fact that your fact was utter shit. <laughs> does it, Go on. Does it matter bass? if my bass playing is utter shit as well? Right, do it, <laughs> do it. incredible. Uh, <laughs> Did that come through? <laughs> it barely came through. <laughs> Holy shit. Ben, I was, I was about to bring the guitar out this week and do the Fact Me in the Face theme tune uh, live on the guitar because I finally figured out well. the chords. I figured out the chords to the Call Me By Your Name song. I finally figured it out after all this time. Uh, so uh, I'm going to be unleashing that upon the charts in, in due course. But Ben, the we Empire should band. Band. Next time, band. Next time we do a live uh, Empire podcast, we can start it with the Empire podcast band. I am... Um, I own okay. and can play the didgeridoo. This Amazing. is incredible. I, mean, I don't have it have here. It's, it's upstairs, oh. but I do own and can play the okay, didn't didgeridoo. Okay, next week, that is happening. We're getting some didgeridoo action <laughs> okay. going. I, I am on rudimentary rhythm guitar and vocals, obviously. Ben, you're on bass and mm-hmm. backing vocals? I can try. Ben, you're on bass. <laughs> Helen, you have the voice <laughs> of an angel. Oh, aren't you kind? Said H. O'Hara of <laughs> of South London. Uh, you're in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, James on Didgeridoo. Now all we need is a keyboardist and a drummer, guys, and we have the very first Empire Band. I think wow. that, and I, I have the perfect song for our lead single. Um, anyway, I, yeah, I kind of do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, every chorus is just a refrain of, is it though? Um, so Ben I have to say that was a shit fact it was it was terrible I'm sorry I can only apologise I'm going to put you out of your misery right now you are not winning this week I didn't expect to next time you're on the podcast bring a better fact I've got another fact it's not to do with anything else but while we're talking about musical instruments something that I've been entirely preoccupied by this week did a pub quiz the other day Uh, shout out to the free trade pub quiz in Newcastle did did this uh, pub quiz digitally and there was uh, a question that involved Dion Dublin, uh, mm-hmm. the former football player, yes, who then went on to create his own mad musical instrument, yes, his percussion instrument called the Dube, mm-hmm. and it is an incredible thing. And I urge you to all go and check out this video on YouTube of Dion Dublin presenting the Dube, which is a cube. Uh, we. It's just a, like a cube that you drum on. So it's either yes. the tube because it's a drumming cube or because it's Dion Dublin cube. No, I, and I, I prefer think it's to the think it's the second one. It's a dubious idea. <laughs> it really is made a it dubious to the And indeed a dubious fact. <laughs> but it's a true fact. It is a true fact. true fact. That it's one was a, real at least. This is, this is verifiable. Uh, <laughs> absolutely verifiable. All right, Helen. Well, at the moment, James obscure. is in pole position. So Yeah, no, I think, I think James will take it this week. Um, I just read something that I, I thought was quite interesting this week about Colleen Moore, who was a massive star in the silent era. So she was kind of like competing with Clara Bow to be like top flapper star. She had the you know, the bobbed haircut and everything. Uh, she was amazing. Um, yes, all right. Um, but Colleen had interesting interests outside of film, namely doll's houses. So in the late 1920s into the early 30s, so this is like, we're talking genuine Great Depression. She spent $500,000 <laughs> or adjusted for inflation, about $7 million. What? What? 
on a doll's house. It's about nine feet square and eight feet tall. It looks unbelievable. The detail in this is incredible. The taps work in the bathroom. Uh, the lights go on and off. It's all electric. She's got like marble. She's got gold. She's got um, a Russian icon in the chapel in this kind of mansion, which is inlaid with like rubies and emeralds and stuff. She has an actual... Um, Egyptian coal jar, you know, coal is in eyeliner, a, a tiny jar, 2000 years old, that is like an urn in this house because it kind of fits the scale. So she's got actual sort of relics in there and art by artists of the time, including actual Walt Disney uh, on the walls of this place. It's amazing. It still exists. It's in the um, Chicago Museum of, I think, Industry. Um, and it, it might sound like an appalling amount of money to spend on a doll's house, especially at a time when lots of people were suffering. But there is a little bit of a kind of glimmer of goodness here because when the depression was at its height and things were at their worst, she sent the dollhouse on a tour around the country. So it was taken to like department stores around the country and exhibited and people could go see it for a small fee. And she managed to raise basically as much as it cost for children's charities. So she raised another half a million dollars for children's charities in the middle of the Great Depression. Oh. So there you go. That's, That's my little obscure fact. I love the way you just came in here and went like, oh, yeah, guys, I don't really have anything this week. And then <laughs> boom, out comes this massive, great big $7 million worth of dollhouse factoids. Oh, my word. It's really worth looking up the, the, the you know, this the pictures of this house because it's unbelievable the detail when they finally get um, Indiana Jones 5 on track I basically want him to be having to discover this 7 million (laughs) dollar dollhouse with a tiny urn (laughs) so what was it there's a tiny urn that has ancient eyeliner yeah so you know the ancient Egyptians used coal like K-O-H-L the black stuff you put around Mm. your eyes it's still what eyeliner basically is Hmm. Um, and um, it used to be stored by the ancient Egyptians in tiny little jars sort of like an inch, two inches tall. She was like, I'll have that. Yeah, that works for the house. Like, let's put it in there. Boom. Wow. Flex. This is a choice that's even tougher than the one Sophie had to make, uh, I think. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. (laughs) How's it too soon? They're not real. It's always Um, too soon. (laughs) Get get over it. (laughs) Right. Man, this is tough. Ben, you're in last place. (laughs) Fair. James and Helen both fulfilled the criteria in that they told me something I didn't know. So, I think Helen is pointing at me on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Now she's pointing at Ben. Now she's knocked her microphone over. This is going going really well. I think... I think I'm going to go with James this week. Hooray! You're still a... Bangly bang. (laughs) (laughs) Bangly bang. Too late. Too late. Too late. I will take that victory. Oh, uh, you have leveled the scores. It is this one, fucking wasp one, is back. one. It keeps coming in and like dive bombing me. Perhaps it heard we need guests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you like to talk to the wasp? I can arrange an introduction. <laughs> Are we sure it's Listen. not Barry B. Benson from B Movie? <laughs> it could well be. If I want to talk to a wasp, I'll just talk to you and Ben. That's what we did there. That's true. Yep. Yeah, I don't qualify. No, you don't. I'm a as wasp. You have, as you are a pain to point out <laughs> quite often. You, uh, what are you doing on July 12th, Helen, uh, during this lockdown? Uh, I'm doing a virtual <laughs> march. Do you want to get, get involved? Get behind that? Oh, somebody sent me a link last night, actually, to uh, 
a, a Northern Irish uh, sitcom sketch where somebody gets a loyalist Alexa. Have you heard that? <laughs> no. It's amazing. I'll forward it on to you anyway. Um, I right. think it's, yeah, it's from Give Me a Headpiece. It's brilliant. Oh, they're very funny. They are very funny indeed. All right. They're my well, cousin. Listen. One's removed. One of them. Blair, my they are my cousin. <laughs> they are all my cousin once removed. No, Dad is my cousin once removed. Okay, they are an amorphous blob known only as Give My Headpiece. Um, right, anyway, that is it for this week's Fact Me in the Face. Join us next week to find out what name I'm giving it then. Uh, hopefully something that will fit the uh, the award-winning theme tune by the Empire Band as well. Usually what we do uh, is we barrel straight into listener questions, but this week I'm going to break it up a little bit because this week we actually have... Guests, we have guests. Um, so obviously the, the Corona crisis is going on, but we have been able to hook up with a couple of people this week, and we got guests for next week, and the week after, and the week after, and the week after that. Oh my, it's glorious! Uh, so our first guest this week is the wonderful Sharon Horgan. Uh, so yet another Irish person on the old, on the old podcast. I can only apologise to our English brethren. Um, <laughs> Uh, she is a star, of course, uh, you know, the star and creator of Catastrophe and Divorce and Pulling. And uh, she's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And recently she's been turning her attention to the big screen as well, the, appearing in the likes of Game Night uh, and Military Wives, which was reviewed on this podcast a, a few weeks ago. Its cinematic release was curtailed, of course, by the COVID-19 situation, uh, but it is now available uh, it's one of those premium rentals that you can rent in the comfort of your own home. Uh, for the princely sum, I believe, of £15.99, you can watch Military Wives, which is a lot of fun, I thought, guys. I hadn't seen mm-hmm. it whenever you reviewed it in the podcast. I very much I enjoyed the last week. 25 minutes. James, you should watch the first hour and a half because it really it puts the last 25 in context. It really? really. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> really good. does. It really sets it up. <laughs> like, your reaction to the song that they sing at the end of the movie might be different if you knew what the fuck they were singing it for and why and what it was, was like, about. This isn't a banger. I'm very confused. <laughs> <laughs> Little things like that. Anyway, she's terrific in the film, Sharon Horrigan, as is uh, Kristen Scott Thomas. And Sharon was, was kind enough to become the first... Squadcast guinea pig this week. So we record all these podcasts remotely via Squadcast, and she was the first person to jump on uh, with me, uh, run the risk of me wearing no trousers. I was wearing trousers, and uh, we had a good old chatter about military wives, about whether she sees herself more as a writer or an actor these days. About the, and of course, about how she's coping with the COVID nineteen crisis. And I think. All interviews we do via this are going to start off pretty much the same way, how you coping. But uh, she was a lot of fun. So here we go. I haven't listened back to this yet, so I hope that the quality is good. <laughs> but uh, if it isn't, then do please uh, forgive some lapses in the sound quality during our interviews, because obviously not everyone we interview is going to have a great mic set up like we do. So please forgive that. But here we go. Sharon Horgan, enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of Military Wives in lockdown, as are we all, of course. Sharon Horgan, how are you? How the devil are you? Hey, I'm all right. Considering, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone how are says you? that. Oh, you know, I'm okay. I had a, I had a, I've had a long, long day of the soul today, if I'm honest. Why? But, That's you know, every it's just, day. You know, the enormity of everything hits you a little bit. So luckily yeah. I've got a balcony. So I, I went out in the balcony and I took in a deep breath. Of, I'm, I live by the river. So I took in a deep breath of the air. And God that bless be all right, balconies. You know? God bless balconies. I, I just did uh, my daily uh, exercise, re- exercise round uh, Well Street Common, which is just at the back of my house. 
and there is two uh, sets of police officers, two just uh, on foot and two on bikes. And that's just this tiny little common, but uh, <laughs> and that was good. It kind of kept us moving. It felt, um, I mean, I kind of liked it. I was like, you know, I was like, great, this is what we need. Yeah, we need we need that motivation. Uh, otherwise, mm. we would just I don't know we would just mill around collapse. endlessly. We just collapse. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Society is so close to collapsing right now. But hey, fun, fun times. Uh, so how is lockdown life for you generally? Uh, what's what's your what's your what are your days like? Oh, God, they're really weird, actually. Um, like I started off OK. I sort of did a normal or as normal as could be uh, working week. You know, we are um, well, we were supposed to be beginning our writers room for Motherland for the mm -hmm. third series. Um, we mm -hmm. were beginning the writers sort of, uh, you know, first sessions with Ashling for this way up before she goes off and, and writes it. We were in the mm -hmm. edit on uh, this thing we're making with the Gleason brothers, uh, Do Donal and uh, Brian Gleason, and which we had to cancel um, just a week from finishing it because we were filming in, in Northern Ireland. And that's when Ireland was so, you know, on the case, although Northern Ireland wasn't, yeah. but, you know, we had a lot of crew that had come up from uh, the Republic and uh, so we had to stop that so it's not yet finished so we're doing this edit that has all these little sort of black gaps going scene 14 to come um and you know writing in general and then um yeah i just sort of uh just my brain kind of fried <laughs> i because there's all the stuff that you normally do and then suddenly i'm you know, I'm having to be a, a, a proper person as well, like cooking my kids three meals a day <laughs> yeah. and, and like cleaning my house and the stuff that if I'm really honest, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to outsource and so I can sort of crack on with work and stuff. And so it's kind of impossible. And then when you lay a layer of, you know, COVID-19 sort of paranoia on top of that and just constantly <laughs> checking in online and, and, you know, seeing what's happening with the curves and just like, I don't know. I just found it really hard. So, so I, I took last week off and I was just with the girls and uh, with my daughters. And then I got back back on it today, which is why we're mm. talking. Because I think I, I sort of wasn't able to do you guys last week because I was just like, I can't do anything. Yeah. Can't do anything. No, that's, and, yeah. <laughs> that's totally fine. Totally fine. So, I, I yeah. completely understand that. But doing uh, writers' yeah. rooms on Zoom is is an odd one. Like it's not, it's, you think, oh, it's just, you know, writing, you sit still when you're writing, but I, I don't, like I write with my legs. Like I, not literally, but like I have to march around <laughs> a room, you know, to just get the motor of my brain going and get ideas up on the yeah. wall and sort of, and, and that's sort of limited. You're just in this like Celebrity Squares box. And uh, I don't know, I, I don't feel like my, my brain works as well that way. And you also have this weird thing as well. We're we're lucky enough. We use this thing called Squadcast, which is really good. And so far, we've been yeah, talking over fancy. each other, and it's fancy. it's all fine. Yeah. But when you're on Zoom, when you're on Microsoft Teams, and you're talking over each other, and suddenly you have that thing where uh, no, uh, oh, you go ahead, you go ahead, yeah, and no, I imagine. Sorry, sorry, what, yeah. Oh, sorry. What did you say? Sorry. No, yeah. I just. Oh. And then someone like completely yeah. freezes, and you laugh at them. And <laughs> yeah. I, I just find yeah. myself very distracted by people's homes. Like I, I don't want that level of intimacy. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to know what um, Kenny's uh, garden and and you know what the color of his cushions are. I feel like that's his own personal space, and uh, so I find myself very sort of distracted by that. 
And I don't know if you've you noticed this, but everyone is everyone's doing it more than is necessary. Like, you know, I've got stuff in my in my diary that I'll go, right, so that's a, you know, a conversation with so-and-so about like such and such. Why aren't we doing it on the phone? Like, why can't we just do a, you know, a dial-in like we always do? Why does why do we suddenly have to why does everything now have to be on screen and in, in boxes, you know, it's kind of getting on my tears. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I imagine it's not very conducive to comedy as well when you're sitting yeah. on Zoom and everyone's just talking over uh-huh. each other. I thought maybe that's yeah. the writer's room experience. I, I, I don't know. No, it shouldn't be really, or it's, you know, all going to go to pot. But. <laughs> but yes, but obviously, you know, because of the whole COVID business, the whole Corona business, uh, Military Wives is now available for people. Um, yeah. Wherever they want, wherever they, you know, I just, yeah. I, I, yeah. I watched it this weekend in the comfort of my, my living room and uh, yeah. I have to confess, Sharon, you know, it, it made me Did a little bit Did you cry like emotion. a baby? <laughs> Did, didn't cry, didn't cry like a baby, but yeah. there were, there were, you know, there were watery eyes. <laughs> everyone, you, you everyone that? has that everyone has that reaction i i watched it with my I took my daughters along to the premiere which feels like a million years ago but i'm i'm sure i'm sure it's just like a month ago or something um <laughs> yeah uh and she like she kind of cried all the way through it in between getting angry at me for singing she's like oh god uh, it's so embarrassing <laughs> but um uh yeah i mean i kind of felt that when i read the script you know like initially i kind of thought oh i think this might mess people up a bit but that's good because it's because it's not just tear it's not just a tearjerker is it it's mm. actually like kind of it's sort of life affirming really it's 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 yeah. it's got a, a sweetness to it and and kind of i don't know like a good dose of reality i think peter is really good at that i think he's good at taking sort of situations that could be truly fully given the Hollywood treatment, you know, and actually finding mm. just the, the sort of the real people behind that, that sort of situation. And he doesn't over egg it. I think he's really, he's really good at sort of treading, treading the line there, you know. You say you had that reaction when you, when you read the script as well, but yeah. did you also have a reaction of utter and abject fear when you read the script because oh, yeah. I don't know about you but singing in public Jesus Christ no. yeah <laughs> no well I mean I I, the, I, I I was just like well no and then and they the, they said just go along and meet Peter and, and the producer and so I went along and, and I just went why don't give me this part that's a terrible idea and his whole thing was it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you can sing or you can't sing because that was it's another part of the reason why I think he's it was a you know a great person to sort of helm this is because he wanted it to sound a bit crappy at the beginning he wanted it to be real voices <laughs> because those women they didn't have any training i mean of course there's always going to be one or two really great naturally talented singers but yeah they had to get good over time I and mean, that that was the thing that's why it worked their situation needed something that would take their mind off what was happening in Afghanistan. You know, they really just mm. had to focus on getting good at something and, and working together. And if you don't work together, it's not going to sound as good. And so if ever he caught us, um, you know, rehearsing, he just like, he'd like separate <laughs> us, like, you know, like a sheepdog. He'd just try and keep us apart because he didn't want that. In And actually, 
um, you know, I mean, the schedule was a bit crazy, but we did manage to keep the final sort of Royal Albert Hall scene for the end because at that point uh-huh. we'd been working together for a while and we knew each other better and we'd sung together and we'd sort of, you know, developed this sort of like, you know, trust where we kind of knew yeah. if we were going a bit awry, we could look at the person on either side of us and, and, and they'd sort of, you know, like it's this bit, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and also the other thing is, is even if you're a terrible singer, if you're singing in a group, someone drowns it out you know it's just it sounds better I mean it's really so many boy bands know that for sure oh my gosh for sure but like the thing is it's kind of glorious because you're you're just amazed you're amazed that it gets to a point where it can it can sound like a beautiful thing invariably as well the person to your right left one of the two is Kristen Scott Thomas yes yeah 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 you know, never mind the abject fear of singing as well. I would look at Kristen Scott Thomas and you know and and just freeze. I would just freeze. Oh like, God! It's oh yeah! Scott Thomas. Yeah! Jesus! Yeah! 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 Completely. I mean, that was the other thing is like a fear of being on screen with her because I just thought she'd just show up every lacking, you know, um, that I have a, as an actor because most of the time I can just sort of disguise it. You know, it was it was terrifying, like going going head to head with her, especially like in some of the more emotional scenes or you know the you know, the more sort of dramatic moments, I, I was like terrified, but actually she's really good crack. And, and, and actually <laughs> what, what you get when you work with someone like that, honestly, you just kind of, you do really learn stuff. You do really learn how, how to do it better. And, uh, you know, she's definitely someone who you can take the piss out of. And she's definitely someone who, who doesn't take herself too seriously. You know, she takes what she does really seriously. I'm not saying there wasn't moments where I was still terrified of her, but generally, (laughs) um, generally, you know what? It just really worked for the parts because I I kind of understood, as soon as I met her, I kind of understood why they'd cast us. You know, I understood that, you know, initially that sort of partnership of those two characters looks like it would never Mm. work. They would never get on. They'd Mm. never see eye to eye. And that kind of works for me and her. Like, who would ever have thought of putting us in in a film? together you know yeah it works it works and it's so wonderfully passive aggressive as well the yeah. relationship especially <laughs> at the beginning uh which yeah. must have been a, a, a joy to did there you was... choreograph it were you ad-libbing some stuff how, how did we that were yeah i mean they were really kind um in that they let myself and herself like get involved in the script stage when it was further down the line you know especially for the like some of the fights and stuff just what what would what would sound more real coming out of our mouths you know and uh so we were able to sort of get a bit involved at that stage and then when you're doing it i think like certainly those sort of earlier scenes where we're you know um beginning the 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 beginning sort of stages of the choir where we're sort of both trying to find our feet we're both trying to you know impose our you know wants on that group and uh Mm. it was so much fun because really it was just like performing to those women like there's such an amazing bunch of girls um in that ensemble cast that we kind of got a buzz out of if we were making them laugh we were if we were making them uncomfortable you know any kind of reaction we were getting from them we knew you know was was working <laughs> what would work you know on screen are films something that um because you know, obviously you, you outlined at the beginning here the number of tv shows you're working on you know enough mm. enough tv shows Sharon, to fill your own channel mm-hmm, it's incredible mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. uh but film, is that something that you've been consciously doing more of recently? You, you had this, there was Game yeah. Night a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like Game Night was um, 
because they just got in touch with me and it just sounded like the best crack ever. And <laughs> if, if, if I'm honest, I wasn't sort of looking for something because I, I hadn't come off um, the first series of divorce that long. I think it was the first series of divorce. Mm. I can't remember. But I've been away a lot. So I wasn't looking to go away again. And um, but I just really liked the sound of it. And um, anyway, I just made it work. But around about that time, I was, you know, I was, I was writing Motherland, the first series um, over mm. Skype with Holly Walsh while I was filming game, game Night, you know, so I just kind of mm. squeezed it in. But after I think it was after Catastrophe, the final series of Catastrophe ended, I just thought, I don't entirely know what I want to do. You know, like there's lots of mm. stuff that we're making that Merman are making, but I didn't know what it was I wanted to do next, you know. So I kind of, it made sense to just get stuck into film, really. Um, you know, because I didn't want to commit to doing a TV series that was somebody else's, you know, I, I didn't want to, I didn't have my sort of next sort of idea kind of ready to go. And I just thought if I just, you know, just dive into the film world and, and you know, because you're kind of, in a way you're kind of satisfying a, a, a creative sort of urge, you know, you're, you're, you're working, which is always great. And, and in a way they're, they're just these short sort of periods of, of time that don't take you out of things for too long. You're not away from your family or your home for too long. And you're just like getting it done and in the can. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I sort of did three in a row and, uh, I think it was a really great thing to do. It, it felt like, you know, it gave me a bit of space and time to sort of think about what I sort of wanted to write next, but at the same time, just sort of keeping mm. my toe in. And also <laughs> it, it, in a way, you know, you can sort of switch off certain parts of your brain because you're, you're, you're just turning up and you're doing your acting job and you're not having to think about every aspect of the production like you do when, when it's something you've, you've written, you know, or you're producing mm. or whatever, where you, you really kind of, you know, it's, it's a very, very involved, very full-time job that, you know, when you're finished filming, you're only sort of beginning, really, because you're in the edit for months and, you know, all of that malarkey. But, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I've been really enjoying it. Of course, so, everything that I was supposed to be doing has been cancelled because of, um, you know, the films that were coming up. Um, but anyway, maybe they'll, maybe when the world gets back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so, indeed. And but how do you how do you think of yourself whenever you're thinking of yourself creatively? Do you think of yourself as a writer first and foremost, still? Or uh, I said yeah, still I as if so. I, I, I assumed that you just assume you're a writer first. But uh, well, I didn't for years because like I started out as an actor, you know, yeah. and like the the writing thing was just something that sort of kind of happened. And I mean, I think like when I when I think back to you know the kind of um, young adult I was it was definitely sort of in my bones a bit like when I think back but really I, I started out as an actor and then wasn't really getting anywhere and started doing the writing thing but um yeah I, I think of myself more as a writer now if I'm honest like weirdly actually a bit more of a producer at the moment because so much of what we're doing is you know um ma making other people's work like we just produced um a film that we took to Sundance called Herself which was um, mm. um Mer Merman's first feature and like that was you know equally as um fulfilling and, and satisfying taking you know someone else's um you know dream and and sort of trying to make it a reality um someone else's sort of um vision and and world and uh so yeah i don't know at the moment it's a lot of producing but um everyone sort of tells you you have to be a bit careful about that 
Like just don't like, cause you can, you can get sort of caught up in it. You know, you can get, it's a, it's a, it's a real buzz, like getting um, other people's stuff made, but you, you kind of, you kind of park what you do a little bit, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, I need to sort of keep an eye on that. And what about directing? Is that, is that something that's, that's weird as an ugly head for you over there? Yeah. You've done it well, a couple you, of times. You but... sound like my dad there. Um, <laughs> weird as ugly head. Um, come on. You can, you can, you can phrase it better. But uh, yeah, I, I just um, I just directed. Well, actually, it wasn't just. God, when was it? Uh, the last thing I directed was um, you know one of the modern uh, love episodes for uh-huh. yeah. uh, Amazon, Amazon um, yeah. which was amazing because it was Tina Fey and John Slattery, and they were just like the greatest people to work with ever, <laughs> and 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 just like made me want to do it a lot more. I, I'm I'm directing my first feature, but everything is sort of. We were supposed to be scouting for locations in Ireland this month, and uh, oh my god! Uh, clearly, that didn't happen. But you know, everything's just going to take a bit longer now. I, I just don't know what's going to happen when it's, you know, there's just going to be such a, a like what you call it, like a uh, what's the word? A bottleneck. It's going to be bottleneck. a huge bottleneck. Yeah, it's going to be a huge bottleneck. Production. I mean, how the, where are we going to shoot? Who's going to shoot them? Where is everyone? How, there's just <laughs> there's not enough directors anyway, you know. Um, or or well, there is, but you know, everyone's busy. There's so much content being made. There's so much. There's so many, you know, streaming services and you know, um, new channels and and stuff like that. That it's it's really hard to to sort of make a space. You know, mm. to, to find that, well, I want that DP and that director. Well, they're busy. Well, I'll wait. Like, how long? So now everything's sort of going to, you know, hopefully, I mean, if, please God, like, um, if, if, if um, the curve continues to, or at least mm-hmm. get, gets to the point of um, dropping, um, you know, maybe everything will start up again in September, October kind of time. And I just think everywhere you look, there's going to be someone filming everywhere. You know, you'll be, there'll be film, there'll be film crews in the background of your shot. And you'll be like, what the hell are you? Get out of here. Um, so, um, yeah. And you're going to be compartmentalized even more than usual. You're going to be like, I'll be, I'll be filming this for two hours a day. Then I'm going to be writing for two hours a day and something else yeah. and producing something else for two hours a day. And then directing. Well, I mean, the-, the thing, the thing is, is like trying to use this time as, as like, um, as well as possible, you know, like really trying to get those things written and developed and stuff so that, you know, you do hit, hit the ground running. Um, mm. That's the plan anyway. It's, it's just, you know, your brain doesn't always work like that, especially in extraordinary circumstances like this. It's you end up sort of cutting yourself a bit of slack. And I think that's that that's a good thing. You know, yeah. you, you know, it's just it's too crazy. It's too crazy right cool. now. Are you are you learning a hobby? Are you learning a new skill? That's what we keep being told we should do with our time. I, I was planning to, you know what? I really was planning to, uh, but I haven't not as yet. I, I, <laughs> I tell you what I have been doing is like watching a lot more um, films. I mean, I was trying to do that anyway, just 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 trying to like broaden my kind of um, sort of filmic language a bit. My agency in America, they're just being great in terms of like hey you don't have much to do at the moment here's all the directors that we love here's all the new directors that you should be looking out for okay and just okay. sending lists and links and so i've been watching some really great um films excellent anything you want to give a shout out to or you want to you keep it at uh yeah i really want to give a shout out to uh the truffle hunters uh <laughs> seriously is one excellent. of the greatest things i've ever seen it's a it's a documentary about um 
truffle hunches in northern Italy, and it's basically four men and their dogs. I couldn't, I can't tell you how brilliant it is. It's it's like every every frame is is a masterpiece. Every every frame is like looking at a a, a painting. It's very sort of, you know, it's like beautifully shot and thought out, but it's not as highly sort of structured or maybe even manipulated as some, you know, sort of more sort of well-known and recent documentaries. But it's absolutely beautiful, life-affirming, just simple tale. Um, Amazing. Yeah. I'm sticking out on my list. Really, really recommend it. You mentioned, obviously, you know, the end of Catastrophe. And don't worry, I'm not going to ask about the the end of Catastrophe because I know you guys have talked about that ad infinitum. Mm. But I just wanted to get a sense of the sense of its import in your life. Uh, You know, once you and, and Rob had finished it, and it was such a huge thing, such a huge success, but such a huge part of you as well. And you guys had gone through so much during the making of it. When you finished it, did you have a sense of well, what now? What do we what What do we do now? Yeah, completely. I mean, I I, I was I, I I felt it like at various different points along the way, like when you know, sort of milestones, like when Rob shot his last scene, then when I shot my last scene, then when you know we finished our last edit, and then when it you know it went out on TV for the last time, and then we got to the final episode. Um, um, uh, even in the read through, you know, I, I, I had, uh, you know, mini mental breakdown, um, just hearing the final episode read the last few lines are, um, oh but when we heard, when the last episode went out, I got ready to get really, really down. And then we had that extraordinary reaction, you know, we had that, <clears throat> that mad reaction, you know, um, not just about those, the, the final few moments, but you know, about that l- last episode and, mm. And it felt like it sort of took on a life of its own a bit. It's, it felt like it was going to continue on a little bit. And I think part of it is, you know, you know, it, it's it's an emotional thing to leave something behind or to leave people behind that you've worked with for five years. And it was such a huge part of my life and such a huge part of, um, you know, my personal life as well as my working life, you know. Mm. And um, so it was hard to sort of emotionally disconnect from it and then there's the sort of other ego side of things where you're like you know how can these characters not exist anymore and <laughs> so when there was a sense that, that it was going to kind of continue like people might think and talk about the story of those characters you yeah. know even in the sense of what what, what happened like yeah. um that that sort of fed me for for months and then you know <laughs> now now i'm uh you know it comes in pangs but it's weird, like the further you 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 step away from it, um, the, and the more it becomes like a bit of a memory, the the kind of easier it is in a way, you know. I mean, at the moment, because everyone's in lockdown, it's sort of gaining a bit of life again, isn't it? People people yeah. are sort of watching it because it's sort of you know what what basically everyone wants to know what to watch. It's not like <laughs> it's it's not peculiar to catastrophe, but we're lucky enough that people kind of. Um, you know, um, single it out a bit here and there, and so that's really nice. Mm. But you I know, how many people are watching it because it's called catastrophe, and then they realise, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, the, the whole <laughs> contagion kind of thing. I, yeah. I think, uh, I think it's it's, um, I think it's all you know, always going to have an enormous uh, place in my heart. But I also think it, it's not necessarily a great thing to 
get complacent about something and and to mm. sort of stick with something because it feels uh comfortable or or easy and in, in a way like you sort of you know you learn and you sort of grow and you meet new people and you expand your sort of uh creative horizons and and that has to be a good thing you know it's just it's just it, it takes it takes a while to find something that you really love and i think most you know people who who you know create would say that and the greatest feeling of all is just for when it doesn't feel like a job when it feels like something that is giving you true joy and so finding that again is is the mm. tricky thing because of course you can keep working you can keep busy i mean that's like grand but it's that yeah. thing of like what what am i really going to love again and 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 that's you know kind of hopefully what i'm working on at the moment but who, who knows <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, your you know your working life, and I wanted to take you very very briefly back to the beginning of your working life because apparently you worked in Camden for years. Is this true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, no, two years. That's where yeah. Empire's based. Uh, we're based oh, in really? Camden. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're just around the the corner from uh, the Morrisons and, and ah. from the uh, the what what used to be the Jim Henson Company as well. Oh. So just across the street from Hattrick, which I'm sure you've been into loads and loads of times. Um, uh, not loads and loads, just a couple. But I I was working just um, on the same street as the Good Mixer. I mean, I'm assuming the oh, Good yeah. Mixer is still there. It's um, still there. Yes, it yeah, is. It has yeah. been taken over by new that, management. Oh no, that used to be the greatest pub in London. It was <laughs> It's such a great boozer. It's such a great jukebox. I was going to ask you for your Camden recommendations, but you've already you've, you've beat me to yeah, it. You've beat mixer. me to it with a good mixer. Uh, there you go. Uh, I don't know what I, it's like now. It could be a shithole. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I mostly walk past it, in fairness. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so, maybe that's But I find myself idea. strangely missing Camden. It's so weird. I haven't yeah. been there for about a month. It's, it's, it's such a strange... I never thought I'd feel that way. Another, another great one for, for bands. And... Well, Sharon, the one last thing I'm going to ask you is um, you get to choose your name on Squadcast here. And I went for Military Chris because I'm utterly lacking in imagination, as has been proven to you over the this conversation you've gone for optimistic resonator what the Sharon hell Horgan, is that did you choose that or is that something that was just randomly assigned to you if i want it i'll take it <laughs> that was randomly assigned i can own it that. own it I'm you are the it. optimistic resonator uh it's been an absolute pleasure sharon horgan thank you so much indeed thanks for joining thank us in this being the first guinea pig oh am i oh wow you are yeah that's been a pleasure thank you so much all right take care all right, so that was Sharon Horgan, and now it is time to take this week's little batch of listener questions. And the first one comes from at Johnny Hatton on Twitter. Recently watched The Boss on Netflix, brackets not my choice. It's okay, Johnny, own it. Uh, but the opening has a great musical slash dance scene. What's your favourite musical slash dance scene in a non-musical film? He also did provide another example in that question as I recorded he, he name checks the Rockefeller skank although I think he called it uh, he got the name of the song wrong in, uh, in She's All That am I right in saying? he did yes mm-hmm. I, I don't have any memory of that do you know they have a, they have a, they have a Fat Boy Slim dance off he said, he said it was Praise Me but I'm almost certain it's Rockefeller skank is actually the, uh, the song they choose but yeah they have a, they have a dance off in the thing. it's really bizarre it comes out of absolutely nowhere uh, much like the fact I'm about to drop which is that She's All That Uncredited. It was deleted by a baby. <laughs> it was deleted by a baby. And so, no, She's All That was written by M. Night Shyamalan. This has been disputed, hasn't it? Because he's supposed to, there's been, I've heard that it's uh, it's a bit 
up in the air that there have been claims that he did yeah. it, but those claims have been no, denied. Up in well, was written by no, Sheldon Turner. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he so he uncredited did a rewrite of the script. The script's written by R. Lee Fleming Jr., but he did a rewrite of it. And the reason it made me think of it is because M. Night Shyamalan tweeted out a picture today of a bunch of three and a half inch floppy disks. He said that he'd found, which have some of his early screenplays on them, and he was really excited. And there was a the screenplay from Breakable was on there. The Village was on there. Quite who was using three and a half inch floppy disks in 2004 is fucking beyond me. But there you go. Um, but he also had one that had She's All That written on it, which was his Whoa. She's All That draft of the screenplay, thus proving that he did, in fact, do a pass on that script. This is completely The biggest M. Night Shyamalan twist of all. That's right, yeah. Anyway, so that's that, That's next week's fact in the bag. Um, but yeah, so dance sequences or musical sequences in non-musical films. I'm going to go straight in there with 10 Things I Hate About You. The serenade which, top choice. Yeah, the serenade sequence, oh. which I think is magnificent. Uh, yeah, very, very good. Heath Ledger to Ginny Styles. Reminder here, people, that, that James surprisingly loves teen movies. I do it's love teen nice movies, and 10 Things I Hear About You is my all time favourite teen movie. It's a great um, one. Yeah, yeah, you should have been I, in the 90s ranking, man. Yeah, sorry. The 99 ranking. Uh, there is a lot. There are, a, there are a huge number of these to choose from. I mean, Pulp Fiction Ooh, is good, obviously yes. one that comes to mind. Anchorman has a great singing song, although scene, although not a you know musical dance number. Uh, but Afternoon Delight is delightful. Ex Machina. If you're looking for dancing, oh my god, yes, surely yes, we don't look any further than <laughs> Ex Machina. Um, and Airplane. The uh, takeoff of Saturday Night Fever in Airplane <laughs> is is really quite special and one that will live in my heart for a long time. The other one I wanted to mention, though, was Napoleon Dynamite, where the entire oh. film builds to a climactic and terrible dance that's so bad, it's oh, yeah. out the other side into genius. Would you like to know a fact, Helen? Another fact? Um, yes, sure. The Napoleon Dynamite dance is one of the dance animations used by characters in World of Warcraft. That's that's definitely <laughs> if, news. If like I'm news, right in Jane, saying, I want so to much. say it's the male blood elf that does it, but I can't be a hundred percent sure. It might be the night so elf. that predated the whole Fortnite dance. The the, the, the flossing, thing. yes, the flossing. It predates right. the flossing. Ben, what have you? Got? Mine are both from uh, mine are both from comedies as well. So the first thing that sprang to mind is the opening of Austin Powers. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. genius. Good shout. Amazing. The uh, the sort of dance sequence through the through the streets of London. It can't be straight. Uh, is incredible. Where is it? Uh, do you know what? I, I don't. I haven't rewatched those films Street, since but, yeah. Knowing London well. Um, I'm not so sure it's Carnaby Street. Them and, <laughs> right, right. So it's meant to be, but they didn't. Yeah, they didn't yeah. do that. Yeah. If any films want to shoot scenes like that and you know worry about shutting down London, now would maybe be a really good time to get out there and shoot them because you know you've oh, got yeah. Boyle, space. Go do twenty-eight months later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get it <laughs> yeah. in the bag, Danny Boyle. Head out there. Do Oxford Street now. It'd be brilliant. Wow, I can just I can just imagine you all like the policeman turns up in the middle of the dance number and you're like, what? It was exercise. We're all six feet apart. We're all exercising. So yeah, I, I love I, I love the opening of Austin Powers. The other one that immediately sprang to mind was the dance sequence in Clerks Two, the yes. Jackson Five ABC hmm. dance uh, where uh, Dante and Becky are dancing. She's teaching him to dance on the top of the movies. And then, like, it goes all out musical sequence because then a crowd of people comes and starts dancing in front of the movies as well. So it has all of the uh, all of the extras. It's not just those two dancing together. Um, and that is just that's just pure joy. It's I, I love that sequence. It's super fun. 
Yeah, I was going to suggest another Steve Carell related one. In fact, two Steve Carell related ones. Uh, so there's the Aquarius uh, number at the end oh, of yeah. the Forty Year Old Virgin. Yes. Uh, where clearly, you know, it's a great. It's what I love about that. It's a great evocation of the character's mindset that he is whole he is one so he feels that he can take part in a massive bollywood style production number uh singing directly to the camera at the end of that film but also it's one of those things where i i think they just didn't know how to end the film so there's a little <laughs> bit of there's a little bit of anarchy in there as well um and uh i know this is going to get an eye roll for james but the altered cut of anchorman 2 oh. uh features an incredible uh, number in which Ron and the team are taught about the, the gay way. They're, they're taught about homosexuality in the uh, in the guise of a musical number, which was tremendous, but was cut from the actual film. But it is in the alternate cuts. So if you don't know, uh, they had so many alts and so many different gags for Anchorman 2 that they re-released a different version theatrically that didn't have a single existing joke from the first cut. Almost like it. they didn't have a script and they made it up as they went along. And that is actually completely and utterly untrue. Those things are scripted within an inch of their fucking lives. But uh, yes, they did have this uh, incredible musical number. So uh, uh, go and check it out. It's on YouTube. And of course, if you do have the alternate version, it's there as well. I would like to throw out Mark Webb's 500 Days of Summer, which is a film oh, which I knew somebody would. hasn't aged brilliantly. And I know Helen <laughs> particular hates when I really like it. Uh, Helen so wants to throw where, out 500 Days of Summer. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt has slept with Summer for the first time. And he's playing, dancing down the street to uh, Hall & Notes, You Make My Dreams. And um, bit by bit, like he's dancing. You just think it's part of the soundtrack. And then he sees himself. Do you remember his hand solo in the reflection of the car window? And then he's high-fiving people who are high-fiving him back. And it feels like we've segued into a musical. And then there's a marching band and I mean in an animated bird at one point I mean it becomes ridiculous but I uh, I really enjoy that because it's just totally bizarre and doesn't fit the rest of the film but it's kind of funny is it, that is actually a fun scene I don't hate that scene I think it's quite it's clever the one moment of the film that you don't want to yeah. kill with fire yeah. um also, I, don't, I don't hate that film. I just don't love it. The manic pixie dream girlness of it is unnecessarily... It's, it's wearing. Yes. Yeah. Um, other things I want to chuck in. I know, uh, speaking of things that haven't aged well, Moonwalker, the smooth criminal sequence in Moonwalker oh, is particularly oh, okay. good. Uh, that's a very, very good sequence. I um, remember being so hyped for that in the, in cinemas. Yeah, and then it really turned up and it's just, it's, it's not a film. No, it's, it's just not like a film. It's a series of things that happen. 100%. Yeah, and I, was I was like, don't understand what this is, but it's not a film. No. There was a weird plasticine rabbit at one point that rides a motorbike. It's like, this is just there nonsense. Was. Oh my um, God. Magnolia, Wise Up. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. throw that in there. That's a great one. Uh, great call. The great end call. of Slumdog Millionaire, the Jai Ho Bollywood mm-hmm. ending dance yes. number. I would throw in there. Big Lebowski. Uh, big Le- oh my god yes that's an amazing shout yes absolutely um and uh um life of brian always look on the bright side of life yeah. indeed um so technically speaking does something like back to the future count which suddenly you know towards well, the end of the movie has has marty yeah. mcfly taking part in several full-blown you know numbers i, mm. I guess uh it's not it's not a, not and it's not a dance number in the way that you know i, I guess mm. johnny hatton means but yeah, Back to the Future. And that also kind of plays into the plot of the thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's loads. Millions. There's the, uh, loads. The opening sequence to, to Baby Driver, the title sequence. I know there are other scenes set to the music, but that is the most sort of feels like the most overt part where the Harlem Shuffle is playing into the actions of the scene. Feels more musical than the rest of it, I'd say. Hmm. And, and because I am me 
and I can't let a single question go by without mentioning Evil Dead 2. I'm going to mention Evil Dead 2, which has, of course, a sequence in which Ash watches his recently deceased girlfriend, Linda, rise from the grave um, and have a dance with herself and her severed head uh, before attacking him. So it's a beautiful scene. Lots of pioneering cutting edge state of the art stop motion animation that looks totally and utterly real no you shut up <laughs> well if we're talking anyway. headless dancing then you're going to be looking at those oh which one of the jim henson movies was it with the fiery beings that were throwing each other's heads around oh was that, oh yes was that it, was, labyrinth? that's labyrinth yeah that's labyrinth, labyrinth. Yeah. yes that's yeah. although that's ah, kind yeah. of a musical so maybe that doesn't count and it goes, I, I also have to mention Top Secret because Top Secret has an incredible dance where Fal Kilmer and Lucy Gutteridge go to this uh, big lavish dance. They meet for the first time and they start dancing. And it's the most elaborate, overly complicated dance number that there's no way they could possibly know all the moves. And yet they do it, 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 they do it absolutely seamlessly whilst delivering loads of exposition. And it's kind of, it's kind of, I love dance fighting as well. So there's a dance fight sequence in Man Up. Mm-hmm. which is kind of similar as well. It's a really complicated, overly choreographed thing that they couldn't possibly know, but they do. And then, of course, uh, Hot Rod has a dance fight sequence as well. Okay, but my theory, my, my question there is, Top Secret, isn't that kind of a musical? Like, because there's several great musical numbers in Top Secret. I don't know if that qualifies under the question, but everyone should go and watch Top Secret. So, you know, yes. I think that's the takeaway. I, I don't think I mentioned it in the last two or three podcasts. So I think... I think I got away with that one. It's totally, it's totally fine. No one's noticed. I know a right. little German. He's over there. <laughs> yes, I am Albert Potato. At <laughs> underscore C-I-R underscore asks a question that I quite frankly am surprised hasn't been asked before. Uh, contagion aside, who do you think is mostly likely to make a coronavirus pandemic movie or who would you like to see making one? I think Peter Berg slash Mark Wahlberg will be first through the door with some artistic license. Before you guys get into this, can I just say that I uh, I know that there will be coronavirus movies and we will have to watch them for the podcast, but please, please don't. <laughs> if, if you unless it's unless it's Mark Wahlberg shooting the coronavirus, which I presume is what the what the Mark Wahlberg Peter Berg one would be. Then, See, hide uh, your mother for me, and then he'll <laughs> Spencer Spencer Confidential, but where Spencer gets you know Corona, uh, and then gets and then kicks its ass, and then comes back and saves the day. I'd be up for that. In all seriousness, you know, what I think the reaction to this is going to be: I think there are going to be movies about the Spanish flu because there have been basically none. It has been basically ignored for the last century, and I feel like people are going to be researching that, and that's going to be the most likely way of processing this in the short term. That all said, some fuckers going to do this. We know they are. So I would quite like to see the sort of Armando Iannucci um, take on the response to coronavirus either in the US or UK governments or both um, because I think that'd be freaking hilarious um, so that might be interesting and then I'm quite interested in somebody doing a really really ridiculous one about a really really ridiculous person being locked inside their house and to have a sort of castaway mm-hmm. thing but just in yeah. a suburb you could do all kinds of riffs you could do home alone during this crisis you could do you know there's going to be all sorts of stuff I, I follow several people on Twitter <laughs> boast I follow My several goodness. people on Twitter guys I don't know if you've, you've heard of it twitter.com is really good um, I follow a, a few creative people today who were bemoaning the fact that TV commissioners are basically saying hey do you have anything to do with the pandemic at the moment it's like Jesus Christ 
we're living through this right now. I don't want to see anything about it unless it's hilarious. You know, a comedies I will allow. And I, mm. I, I have a suspicion that we will see a Paul Greengrass uh, Corona movie at some point and it will be terrific. Uh, and it will make you want to, you know, hurl yourself into the nearest plate glass window. But it's, it's, I just, I don't want to see yeah. stuff that really immerses, immerses me back into this, this nightmare we're all living through right now. I feel like instead of making a film talking about how great healthcare workers are and how what wonderful jobs they do, all of which is true, we should just fund healthcare. I think that would be a better response what? than making a movie with where Mark Wahlberg plays <laughs> Anthony Fucci or however you pronounce it. Um, that would be far better, wouldn't it? Fund healthcare workers. Fund healthcare. Yes. <laughs> but why do that when we can just clap? The clap does everything it needs to do. But don't get me wrong, the clap is a lovely thing. The, no, not the well, clap, no, but I mean, the, people yeah. clapping for the NHS is a lovely thing. Ben, how do you but, know about the clap? We haven't even had the talk yet. <laughs> well, thankfully, the NHS was around, so... Um, the, Greengrass was the, the guy who sprang to mind for me for a serious one. But as you were saying that, I was like, do you know what? I, I want the Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. This is the end to coronavirus <laughs> version where it's just all of that lot. Like, just do it as one of those um, uh, unfriended movies where it's just them Skyping each other from their respective insane houses. Yeah. I would I would watch that. That'd be I'll, fun. I'll take that. I'll absolutely take that. But I just can't, you know, and I know it'll happen. We'll have, we'll have to sit through some really serious, really somber two-hour examination of everything that went wrong and everything that we did badly and we'll have to watch people die on screen in the most horrible way and I don't want to do it but you know it was a great film five stars <laughs> we should say by the way that um, our mate Stevie Wong is off the ventilator and you know best doing yes. better which is fantastic news we should so. Yeah, um, he's out, he's out of hospital, um, which is tremendous, uh, which is why I didn't offer an update at the beginning. Um, I, I should have done, my bad. But yes, Stevie is better. He is out of hospital, and we are delighted to see that he is uh, he's doing well. Uh, and uh, fingers crossed. Jimbo, you've been uncharacteristically quiet. I was uh, I was sending an email. Apologies. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Uh, my answer to this will be Roland Emmerich. And I was kind of thinking John Cusack <laughs> oh, would be the earnest and, let's be honest, quite tedious scientist, sort of warning that the end is coming, but being largely unheeded. But then I thought, actually, you know, why go all 2012 on it? Let's go full Independence Day and have Jeff Goldblum play the scientist that no one's listening to. Like, so he's the guy going up to Trump slash Boris and saying, you know, it's going to kill everyone. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I think that'd be great. And then obviously, because it's, the it's Emmerich, the world will obviously end at the end of it, you know. With it being Emmerich, it's going to have so little science involved in it that it's actually going to be a 5G movie yeah. and not a COVID-19 movie. What's going to happen is, yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. Jeff Goldblum is going to say it's the 5G master causing it and then they'll have someone come in and like, it'll be, uh, it'll be Will Smith and he'll come in and he'll set fire to the 5G master and then punch the virus in the face uh, and then upload a computer say, virus to, to disable the virus and that will save the day. <laughs> I can see this starring John Cusack and Woody Harrelson for reasons I don't really know why. Ha. Just they've just popped those two <laughs> names have just popped out of the ether. Perhaps they've been planted there by our five G overlords. Uh, we welcome our five G overlords, and uh, yeah, maybe they can star in the five G movie. Who knows? Which you can watch. Directed by Muck G. Muck G. Ordinarily, we do three questions, but this week we're going to do two because uh, James and Ben have to leave at some point fairly soon. Um, but if you do want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods, mainly Twitter, in fairness, because um, I, I, I 
only occasionally check the email address at the moment uh, with working from home. But if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine or just slide into my DMs at Chris Hewitt on Twitter or just respond to me whenever I ask for, for questions on Twitter of a Thursday afternoon in a panic an hour before we start recording. Um, we're also on Facebook nah, and uh, <laughs> we're on email as well, podcast at empireonline.com. And we do have, I know for a fact there are two belter questions I have saved for next week to absolute belters and they're not corona related hooray <laughs> hooray uh, which is great alright so James those birds are really going for it what's happening <laughs> are they distracting do you need me to close the doors it's, it's, it's going to make editing difficult <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah no I seem to have cut during a sparrow's warble and now we've gone straight into a blue tip that edit is never going to fly <laughs> There'll be some bird watchers at home going, oh, I'm furious, absolutely furious. Uh, but it is time now to talk about this week's movie news. And once again, thank God there is movie news and most of it's Marvel related, but <laughs> that's where we oh, live. No. And uh, it's, it's kind of terrible. This is what happens in Hollywood. This is what happens specifically with Kevin Feige. He mm-hmm. waits every Friday for the Empire podcast to be released. He does. He checks with his minions that the Empire podcast has gone up. Mm hmm. And then he gives a signal, a clandestine signal. And that signal means that there's suddenly a deluge of Marvel news. What have we ever done to him, eh? We have been nothing but nice to him. Nothing but nice. Nothing but nice. And he, in return, has been nothing but nice to us. That's, uh, well, that's true. He, Apart he from those this movies news we like. issue, yeah, he did do that. Okay, fine. But, but yes, so we we knew obviously that Black Widow was moving, and uh, we know that uh, filming has been caught up and, and delayed on lots of the Disney Plus Marvel shows. We wondered if this would all kind of have a knock-on effect if everything in the Marvel universe was designed to sort of come along together. Would they all have to move back? And it does seem like everything is basically just shuffling. Um, so yep. Black Widow is not now going to come out, all being well, on November 6th, um, a little bit before uh, James Bond. So that is a really good month if you're into spy movies. Um, I love them. I know, right? So that'll be good. Then uh, The Eternals did have that release slot. It's now moving back to February, which moves Shang-Chi back to May. Um, mm-hmm. The Spider-Man, next Spider-Man working from home movie <laughs> um, is at the moment, still set for 16th of July, 2021, but it hasn't started shooting yet. So mm-hmm. it depends if they can actually keep up with that. That also then means a, a knock on effect then for Doctor Strange in the Mountain of Madness. Now, November 2021. In the Mountain of Madness? This is a multiverse, sorry. It's a bit, it would be good. I would watch it. Anyway, Multiverse of Madness, that is now 5th of November, 2021. And Love and Thunder and Thor will be out on the 28th of February, 2022. Black Panther will also be 2022. And Captain Marvel 2 will be 2022. Wow. Now, 2022 is going to be amazing. It's going to be lit. Yeah, I'm going to uh, go into suspended animation for the rest of the year and just wake me up when they start releasing the good stuff. That's what I That's what I want to know. <laughs> um, Black Widow will be good stuff, of course. Yeah, and, Wonder uh, Woman, though, was I in of August, course, yes. all being well. So, yeah. yes. Yes. And they uh, technically yeah. have not moved Tenet yet, I believe. Although because they'll probably Tenet do that as soon as... outside of time and space and therefore doesn't <laughs> need to move. Christopher, no, can you imagine? They said, uh, yeah, Christopher, so we're going to have to uh, distribute Tenet uh, digitally. We're going to stream it directly onto... Uh, onto and, uh, can you just imagine his face? You'd kill him. You'd literally kill him, right? He'd drop dead. No, he'd literally kill yeah, you. Yeah, he might do that. The man who won't even um, shoot on digital. Imagine, yeah, we're going to stream your film, Chris. 
I'm going no, to accept I mean, the shit out of you. <laughs> a lot of people are talking like, you know, digital is, is a likely option for for that kind of movie it, it could not be less likely it, it really couldn't be less likely people have been talking about this in my timeline going oh well digital you know tenant might have to come out digitally there is no, no fucking yeah, scenario no i'm sorry i don't see it there's, oh. there's more chance of him gathering his cast and going around the country sort of reign of fire style yeah acting out the movie for it. people <laughs> yeah I, I can see a sort of thing where klf like you know the time that the klf burnt a million pounds where he just he live streams he maybe he'll do that um but he'll he'll live stream himself burning the negative of tenant <laughs> no no he'll be he'll be uploading it to that old pixar server um just to ensure it's really done <laughs> feeding it to dogs one frame at a time extraordinary um <sighs> yes indeed um anyway yes i i listen mm. you know i love my marvel release dates i love knowing what i'm gonna do and two and a half years from now it, it's really really <laughs> useful um and this is really interesting black widow moving back you know maybe hollywood knows something we don't so they seem to think that this is going to be over by august september october november which is great and i hope that it is and that we're all relaxed enough that we can go back to um I want to say kinemas. Am, am I right in that? Yes, the I, moving I pictures. So, yes. Yeah, mm. the memory is fading fast. The hazy <laughs> recollections of movie theaters. But next year, that's interesting. The fact that Spider-Man is staying put to, at the moment, at the moment, Doctor yeah. Strange has moved it's, from mm. before it to after it. I wonder where that Isn't fits in the grand scheme. Sony of maybe haven't announced their schedule change. That's possible. And also Sony have different priorities potentially to Disney. And even though we know that, you know, there was the whole, is he still in the MCU after this? Is he not? Um, and the answer came down as a yes in the end. That still doesn't mean he's as closely tied as everybody else. So it might be that you can move Spider-Man a bit mm. without affecting other stuff in the same way. Whereas if you move Doctor Strange, then that has knock-on effects mm. for Loki or Scarlet Witch or whatever else. Of course, it means that they have more time now to work in the scripts for these things. They have more time to work in post-production if, it, if it's needed, because mm -hmm. uh, I imagine Black Widow was pretty much finished. I, uh, I'm pretty sure it was locked, yeah. yeah. The bugbear for me, of course, is I said specifically last week, Black Widow doesn't have a date yet. And then, of course, they released the date like an hour. I'm not even kidding, <laughs> a fucking hour after we released the podcast. So what are you going to do? It is what it is. Yeah. Um, but 2022 is really interesting because they haven't, they hadn't, they, I mean, we knew that they were working on Black Panther 2. Mm. We knew they were working on Captain Marvel 2. But the fact that those have been officially dated in that year is interesting for a number of reasons. One, along with the move of Thor Love of Thunder into that year, that's a year of heavy fucking hitters. That is for oh sure. Yeah. Uh, it also means that as things stand, it is the first year in a while where we won't have had a new property introduced. So I wonder if there's still an announcement to come down the line. And th But then we have, what, two next year? So We have two next year? Shang-Chi and, uh, well, I guess Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. Spider yeah, but that's not like a new property no true yeah 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 so so eternals shine chi next year so maybe that yeah. that'll you know yeah you're maybe so, right let, i'll take up the slack but also yeah. it means we're unlikely to get guardians of the galaxy volume 3 until 2023 kind of looks that way yeah mm. what do you mean yeah i mean yeah just because look, two was it, a big lackluster. like mathematically that hey, mathematically that does make off. sense actually because um james gunn still has to make the suicide squad First, know? right? What state? Well, he, he's he's gonna. So whatever stage that's at, he, he still has to get that out the door, as well as then actually making filming Guardians three. So it's mm. you know, kind of looks that way. I have some news. 
Uh, Bring oh it. God. But, okay, yeah, it is an old God bit of news. So it's, it's some TV news, but the reason I have to do it is because we recorded the Pilot TV podcast this morning, and for reasons unknown, this story eluded me. Uh, the Pilot TV, uh, the Pilot TV Not podcast. Not for reasons unknown. <laughs> we homed in on its beacon, and yet I still missed it. Uh, <laughs> no, we reviewed Queers and Killing Eve Season 3, and Devs, the new Alex Garland show, which is very good, and Run and Bosch, and all sorts of things, but I forgot this news story, and the news story is this. Bosch. Yes, Bosch. Bish, bash, Bosch. So, did anyone, we used to watch Doogie Howser, MD. Ben, sorry, you weren't born when this was on. Yes, anyone this else? is exciting. So, this is exciting. This is exciting. So, Doogie Howser, MD, is being, this is what made Neil Patrick Harris famous. Uh, this is being remade. Uh, it's being remade, uh, and it's going to star a uh, 16-year-old Hawaiian girl, and it's going to be called Doogie Kialoha, MD. Uh, but I think, I think they're keeping the door open for Neil Patrick Harris to possibly make an appearance in it. Um, and the reason I mention this is, and this is absolutely true, I don't know if I ever told you guys this, I may well have done. My nickname at school was indeed Doogie Howser. This is what people called me at school because they thought I looked like Neil Patrick Harris, which of course I don't, mainly because he has hair. <laughs> but um, yeah. So but that, you that did so have hair. I was Doogie Howser. And it all the way did curl. Mm. It did not curl. It was long and flaxen, but it didn't curl. We... We saw I've a picture, picture of you with your long hair. It was yeah. it, it was astounding. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah, it's a look. It is a look. Pure nineties alt rock. The interesting thing about this story is when as soon as I saw it, I thought they must be talking about the girl who played Moana because she was such an obvious immediate star and so kind of Disney friendly. And I was like, they must be, you know, making this as a kind of a, a star vehicle for her to appear in. Like, it just makes sense. Um, her name, of course, which had escaped me, is Oli Cravallo. Um but the story says that the character is going to be a 16-year-old half-Asian, half-white girl. Mm. So it would appear that they have maybe somebody else in mind or certainly a different um, cast in mind. So, so yeah, so I'm a bit disappointed by that just on her behalf. But, um, but yeah, I think this is cool. Yeah, this show. I volunteer right now to do a set visit if it's in Hawaii. <laughs> this, I don't mind. I will throw myself on that bullet. In 1989, a full 20 years before Ben was born. So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's an old show right there. <laughs> I thought Neil Patrick Harris was just that guy who turned up in the Harold and Kumar movies. <laughs> Indeed. How's the theme tune go? I do not remember. I didn't used to watch the show. I just had to suffer being called by the name. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, because my friend Daniel's right. sister decided that I looked like Doogie Howser, and therefore it caught on because I didn't like it. I watched a few episodes, but I couldn't tell you what it, you know, what happened. Apart from him treating people and being quite clever. Yeah, he was just like a mm. high school aged practicing genius doctor doctor yeah. was he like was it like house for kids i guess kind of L yeah. less lupus but he had like one, but. he had like <laughs> high school mates didn't he yes. and then like doctor vinnie and wanda so it was kind of it, wanda with a with a mates Maybe. You, know, you, you know an awful lot for a person who <laughs> hey look not to have when you get show. when you get sort of like psychologically abused by being compared to someone a lot of it sinks in the barbs sink into your skin and i remember <laughs> being asked at school <laughs> how vinnie and wanda were well, that is very exciting, uh, James, uh, and it's going to it's going to it's going to show up in Disney Plus, as indeed is a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, mm. So this week, we've been talking about this on the, on the podcast for for a couple of weeks now. Whether studios would move some of their bigger movies to Disney or to Disney Plus or to streaming services. Uh, <laughs> Not whether Universal would move stuff to Disney Plus, they're not allowed, but whether Disney would move things to Disney Plus. And this week, it seems that Bob Iger, who is still the big chief at Disney, he's about to step down next year. Uh, he seems to have confirmed that they will be moving some of their smaller, bigger movies, <laughs> if that makes sense, uh, to Disney Plus. And it looks like we're going to be starting with Kenneth Bernard's 
Artemis Fowl, that's... which was due out at the end of May. But it's a funny one, because that's a delayed film anyway, isn't it? And, and it's one of these ones where mm. I thought this was a big deal, Artemis Fowl, because the book was so huge. But then, of course, I remembered the book was huge 20 years ago. And uh, I, it, it feels like something that the excitement has kind of drifted for. Uh, so maybe mm. it's yeah. not a surefire I think so- hit. It was supposed to be out last mm. summer, and they pushed it back to this summer, early this summer. And I, I was, can I say, I was on set of this, and they were going big on it. Mm. It's like the, the the stuff that I saw on set was was very big and very expensive. But like you said, I guess maybe just the excitement quite isn't there, and actually putting it on Disney Plus maybe is a good move if people have sort of not much in the way of expectations and actually exceeds those and and reaches a larger group of people because i think especially with the most recent trailer they put out has worried a lot of fans of the book because it looks like it's taken a very very different slant like the premise of this is that he's a little like scarily smart 10 year old criminal genius mastermind slightly cold and psychopathic who uh discovers that fairies are real and he kidnaps one so he can extort its gold um and uh, owen colfer the author he described his books as as die hard with fairies so it's like has a sort of like quite a a different edge to it and then the the most recent trailer they put out which was the first thing we'd seen from the film in a Mm. long long time Mm. was um yeah very much like oh, didn't you know your dad was looking into all these fairies and things? Here's a whole world you never knew. Or it's actually in, in the books, it's it's him. He discovers it because he's a little smart, scary, crazy smart genius. Mm. Um, and then also that trailer revealed that Colin Farrell is playing the dad. And I had heard, I had no idea Colin Farrell was in that movie despite Imagine having he been felt. on set. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, it's actually, actually, he's not in the movie. He's replaced by Johnny Depp five minutes ooh, in. Oh, burn. God. Ooh, oh, ooh. Can you imagine? Oh, not again. Never do that. <laughs> but yeah, so maybe it is a good idea to stick this, to stick this on Disney Plus and it might get a sort of bigger audience it'd feel like a slightly more premium film for disney mm. plus more of a lady in the tramp yeah. than a than a star girl or a timmy failure in that sense mm. yeah i think that's probably true um but i think it's good also for disney plus because i think they have a little bit of a gap in their schedule as well given the moving of you know some of the marvel tv shows back and back and i think they probably there's probably a, a trade-off to be made there i mean this obviously comes on the back of us saying they're not going to move certain films to Disney Plus, and I absolutely stand by that. Those kind of potentially billion-dollar grocers are not going anywhere no. near Disney Plus or digital VOD. But stuff like this, where it's beginning to look a little bit dodgy, where maybe the you know the opening weekend predictions are not where they want them to be, it actually mm. makes quite a lot of sense to put that on a service like this and try to maximize the service. I still think that they have lost the new mutants. I think that uh, a baby has deleted the new mutants. Yeah. So this is, <laughs> but if they do find the new mutants, I do wonder if they're going to whack it up on Disney Plus. Although it is meant to be a little bit, maybe it's not totally the right yeah. fit for Disney Hulu Plus. Hulu more than Disney yeah, Plus. I don't I see, yeah, Hulu. Yeah. That'll go in Hulu. How do we know it's not already on Disney Plus under National Geographic, which I just assume no one's watching? <laughs> oh no, you should, totally should. Free Solo is on National Geographic, so you could, should. A hundred percent, absolutely watch National Geographic. Plus, no, Helen, in these Solo's times, not free. I pay for it as part of my Disney Plus subscription, and it's in the oh Star Wars boy. channel. What are you doing? Oh, free anyway. Anyway, so free Solo is there, but they also have great stuff for these times of being locked indoors. Specifically, like tours of America's national parks that you can just put on in the background, mute the sound, <laughs> and enjoy being in like Yosemite or Yellowstone, and like uh-huh. watch, you know giant wolves eat caribou babies and 
stuff like that. It's great. As, as we so like to great. do in our downtime. <laughs> there was actually more death in those uh, than I really wanted. I just kind of wanted to look at the pretty trees and they kept showing yeah. me caribou babies getting eaten by wolves. But hey ho. <laughs> Uh, speaking of things that are not going to be showing up in Disney Plus because they're <laughs> prestige Marvel movies, um, this will probably be dated in 2023 along with Guardians 3, uh, but it is Ant-Man and the Wasp 2. Uh, yes, indeed, Jeff Loveness, who is a uh, very funny writer, uh, follow him on Twitter, uh, has been tapped up to write The Further Adventures of Sonny Birch and some of the people who were in the last movie as well. Uh, so very, very excited about that one. Uh, it is, of course, the sequel to the greatest of all Marvel movies. Except for all the others. Um, and uh, if you were to hook me up to a polygraph, as I said that, it might tell its own story. But anyway, <laughs> yes, I'm still excited about it. He's a funny guy. So maybe that shows the direction that they're they're going to further push Ant-Man and the Wasp in into directly, into directly comedy. And Helen's going, and maybe the Wasp will get something to do in this one. Yes, yes, Helen. Maybe, yes, Helen. literally maybe she any will. piece of character development that doesn't involve oh, a man. You like You've already got one. the vote. You've already got the vote. What else do you want? <laughs> Honestly. Maybe, maybe this one will have a, a central plot because when, when I was trying to do when I was writing the other week our online Marvel uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe viewing guide I was doing like a like a one sentence or two sentence summary of each film it's uh, like Tony Stark is captured by terrorists he creates a suit and becomes a superhero that is Iron Man when it got yes. to Ant-Man and the Wasp I was like I thought that was Hulk what is the plot of this film what, what actually is the plot of that film? Well, Ben, strap yourself in. While Ant-Man and the Wasp and her dad try to bring her mum back from the Phantoms, uh, Quantum Realm, um, some other shit happens. The plot there of Ant-Man and the Wasp is as follows. Sonny Birch tries to obtain <laughs> some quantum technology from these absolute arseholes who can change their size. And they frame Sonny Birch Probably because he wears moccasins without socks. Um, so therefore, lock him up. <laughs> lock him up. I've turned around completely <laughs> on Sonny Birch. Anyway, uh, that is exciting news. Um, also exciting news, because the, uh, Hollywood is, make, is going ahead with making some movies uh, in uh, optimistic news. So Universal want to remake Night of the Hunter, which no. if you don't know what that is, and you should know what it is, is Charles Lawton's only film as director. 1955, I want to say, but I'm probably wrong, uh, starring Robert Mitchum as uh, an evil evil type who masquerades as a preacher. He has love and hate tattooed on his fingers, uh, directly referenced, of course, by Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing, uh, and it is just a tremendous film. Absolutely wonderful film. If you have time this weekend, if you've never seen it, I'm sure it's out there on some streaming nonsense. So go and check out Night of the Hunter. It is a great film. Lawton never directed again, but he knocked it out of the park so well with this one that perhaps it's good that he didn't, because then we'd be saying, oh man, he fucked it up after Night of the Hunter. My, my few point on remakes always is that the original remains intact, and hopefully this one will be good, in the same way that Cape Fear, for example, to name another Mitchum remake. Uh, stands uh, st- stands up to and maybe even surpasses the original. Is it going to be Dawn of the Hunter? Are they going to do a Romero? Are we just going to have sort of times of the day and then, you know, followed by Day yes, of the Hunter? Yes, then it'll and, be, mm. yeah, Island of the Hunter, Survival of the Hunter. Diary of the Hunter. And, yeah. yeah, Diary of the Hunter. <laughs> uh, any more for any more. Um, did you hear what happened in Louisiana? 
when uh, they have a curfew in place in Louisiana and to mark the beginning of the curfew, <laughs> some clever dick went on the internet to get a siren sound and happened upon the sound that signals the beginning of the purge. So at whatever time it was on the... That's the biggest bumblebee I've ever seen just came in and tried to kill me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I heard the word heard purge, the word purge and was and like, here's my chance. Died bombed me. Um, yeah, so they played the purge siren at whatever it was, 8 o'clock in the evening, presumably uh, indicating that all residents of this uh, town in Louisiana could then just slaughter the shit out of each other. <laughs> there there were complaints. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Wow. Do you think it's a reflex um, thing, though? Like, it's like a Pavlovian response. If you play that noise, Ethan Hawke just shits his pants. <laughs> is, that, is that what happens? Or is Frank Grillo immediately goes, <laughs> Speaking of killing the shit out of each other, there was a trailer this week for Extraction. <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> yes, there was. And just thinking about it makes me laugh. Tyler Rake going to town and some bad guys. Raking them all up. Raking them in. Raking them in a pile yes. in the corner of the room. <laughs> so uh, we talked about this in last week's podcast, didn't we? Or the week before. Uh, so this is the the first post-Avengers vehicle combining Hemsworth and the Russos. And uh, a new director called Sam Hargrave, who worked on all the Russos Marvel movies. He was second unit director on Avengers Endgame. Um, and this looks, frankly, absolute nonsense. But uh, it looks it looks like it could be fun nonsense. The, uh, the action in that trailer looks so great. It looks like, because the, the fight sequences in, in Winter Soldier and in Civil War, especially that sort of punchy hand-to-hand combat stuff is amazing. Um, there is some really nice like camera work in there, but vaguely like the raid style. There's a shot where a, ca- where a car like twirls around. That's what cars do, they twirl around. <laughs> and as it twirls around, the camera is passed into the back seat. And then the car drives off and it's all this one fluid take. It looks amazing. Mm. That was the sort of stuff that Gareth Evans was doing uh, doing on the Raid 2, that incredible behind-the-scenes shot from the Raid 2 where they're passing the camera between all the different cars. They're amazing. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It looks really fun. Me too. Did I mention being on set? I probably haven't mentioned it, but I was on set. <laughs> Did no. you see Hemsworth kicking loads of people? With rakes. I, I saw him shooting loads of people. Like They literally had to warn us to stand back because the cartridges would be flying, the empty cartridges would be flying in our direction and we could get hit by a burning shell. So, mm. um, yeah, it was fun. That's no one for reason. injury lawyers for you, isn't it? <laughs> I got hit by a burning shell propelled towards me a great force by Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no win, no fee. Uh, yep, that drops on Netflix on April 24th, uh, which is exciting. Um, and also, do you see this thing that uh, MGM have picked up a biopic um, about the murder of Maurizio Gucci, uh, which will be directed by Ridley Scott and will star Lady Gaga? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I can talk spoilers for a film that's been made yet, but it's based on history that is just history. But mm-hmm. it seems like the guy was killed so he was the grandson of the founder of Gucci as in you know the fashion label he ran the house in the 80s um and I think Gaga's presumably in talks to play his ex-wife Patrizia Reggiani next year murder is fashion except (laughs) it's a real thing and people lost their lives we're very sorry about that I mean, we know she wore a meat dress, but we never checked where the meat came from, did we? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my word. This sounds sort of halfway between All the Money in the World and the American Crime Story Versace series, which 
sign me up for that with Gaga mm. and with Ridley Scott. I also like how Ridley Scott is. He's so he's he's very old and he's extremely busy. <laughs> like he's had to stop doing the Last Jewel because of coronavirus, Corona, yeah. etc. And so while he's having a bit of downtime for that, he's already signed up for this film, which is dated for November next year. <laughs> so presumably he's like gonna just quickly i don't know get christopher Plummer in to finish the last jewel do it in a week and then he'll have to be straight onto this one i what, mean christopher Plummer know. to direct it <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> i think Emergency you just Plummer. keep busy don't you you keep busy and that's what yeah. keeps you keeps you going Yep, so that's very exciting indeed. Um, and also, I can't believe we've got this far into the podcast without mentioning the Hamilton reunion huh. that happened I know. <laughs> on this week's episode of John Krasinski's Some Good News, his YouTube show dedicated to, well, good news. And um, it was incredible. So they had a amazing. young girl that he and Emily Blunt were calling on Zoom, and then she was a big Hamilton fan. And Helen, I don't know how this wasn't you, first <laughs> of all, that they did this to, uh, but there was our good friend Linny Manny, and there he was um, doing the opening of Alexander Hamilton, the song that kicks off Hamilton, and then he was joined by, like, everybody. everybody. Well, he didn't actually start the song. Um, of course, that goes to... Aaron Burr, who was no, he did because he did, he does. Dun, 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 dun. He played it, and okay, then fair enough. Yeah, but he didn't like sing it. No, yes. yes. Um, but basically, it was it was an incredible uh, reunion of the original cast, who of course I saw on Broadway, which is probably why they didn't call me because I'd already seen them on Broadway. Was the small girl, small and adorable child involved? But she'd had her trip cancelled, the poor thing. So you know, I understand why they did it, but it was amazing. They got the entire original cast back. We got to see inside all of their houses, which I'm sure is what we were really focusing on in that zoom kind of thing i mean did anyone think that david diggs would have such great wallpaper i didn't and i was really excited to see it um but yeah david's diggs hey but i I just thought it was delightful i mean they're all so freaking good and to be able to harmonize over you know this kind of setup (laughs) is unbelievable frankly it's incredibly easy helen as you know are you ready okay on one Two, three. And then with the uh, oh God. Okay. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was exciting. Go but check yeah, it so out. if you it's haven't incredible. seen that, you should definitely check it out. And then Indeed. you should go see Hamilton. I also saw that um, uh, Ollie Gibbs, formerly of this parish, uh, also tweeted this week that his uh, the night that he had tickets for Hamilton has now been cancelled. Oh. So I like to believe that that was also for Ollie Gibbs. Also for him, yeah. No, they're going to have to do it again next week. But do a different <laughs> yeah, show from every do, single person. Yeah, a different song from each show, and then just just make it happen. Um, I have well, I, I had tickets for Hamilton as well, guys, and it all fell through. So you yeah. should definitely do it for me as well. I had tickets to the Timothy Chalamet play here in London, so. Timmy, if you're listening, call me. That's, that's, Timmy, that's a Timmy failure. Mistakes <laughs> <laughs> were made. Mistakes were made. And, and when you said call me, by, by whose name? <laughs> Uh-oh. Hang steady, on. Wait steady. a minute. My guitar is no. in the other room, motherfucker. We do have to finish off the news section with some very, very sad news. Uh, that this week we lost the legendary Honor Blackman. Pussy Galore herself, uh, who passed away at the grand old age of 94. 94! Hell of an age. But Mm. uh, she was tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. I mean, to play a character called Pussy Galore and somehow transcend that uh, is, takes a a hell of a personality. Um, Because that could have been such a one note joke of a character in Goldfinger. But she was great. 
She really was. And she was she was the only Bond girl who I really remembered growing up. You know, she was the only one who made any kind of impression on me because she was the only one who seemed to have much kind of going on um, for her. Um, and it wasn't even the, the name because I genuinely didn't get that when I was a, no, a kid. No, did I. I didn't. You know. Still don't. <laughs> no, no idea what it's talking about. But um, but yeah, and then to see her, she would kind of crop up in things in, in British TV and British films over the years. And she it was always like, oh my God, it's her. I love her. Every single time she turned <laughs> up, no matter how small the role, it was just one of, she was one of those people. She really was. So, you know, she was also in the Avengers, of course, the, the TV show, not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She movie. would have been great in that, though, for the record. She would have been. She'd have been a great Black Widow. Um, mm. But yeah, you know, she's just she was just great. She was. Do you remember the uh, Upper Hand the TV, the ITV sitcom with Joe McGann? Now remember that. I remember that. It was a, a no. British remake of Who's oh, yeah. the Boss? Yeah. So she was in that for a few series as well, and uh, just wonderful. Ninety four, ninety four years old. Uh, Honor Blackman, who sadly passed away this week. Time now to celebrate our cinemas. Hashtag celebrate our cinemas. Uh, as ever on the show, because of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, cinemas around the world have closed down, as you know, and many of them, independents especially, are going through an incredibly tough time and we hope that they come out the other side of this crisis uh, intact. And the best way to do that, of course, is to try and support them as best as we can um, through buying memberships or other fundraising activities that, that, that they are uh, holding. So every week I'm going to shout out a whole bunch of cinemas uh, don't have to be in England and the, indeed the first one isn't uh, the first one's in Harrisburg in the States uh, and someone uh, DM'd me said I saw your tweet about local cinemas uh, Midtown Cinema in Harrisburg is a small but beloved local indie theatre that's getting through coronavirus by launching her own on-demand service that lets you buy access to movies on Fimeo for a couple of bucks Sounds cool. legit. Uh, they also have a GoFundMe fundraiser to support staff and uh, are using this time to do renovations inside the theatre, which is fantastic. So you can find out more about them at midtowncinema.com. Uh, Joe Cunningham, formerly of this parish and, of course, uh, part of the Great Cinematic Universe uh, podcast, uh, wants me to give a shout out to the Broadway, which is a, a, a quote, my amazing local cinema. Uh, it's in the East Midlands, uh, Nottingham, I believe. It's in ben, Nottingham. You're yeah, I've, I've been to the cinema so, so many times. I grew up in Nottinghamshire. One of the screening rooms was uh, the seats were designed by Paul Smith. So it has fancy stripy Ooh. seats. I think the last time I went was just over Christmas to see Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker with my mum and dad, which was so uh, a lovely experience. No, it was great. They really liked it, <laughs> uh, which was really nice. And the the uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful cinema uh, in a lovely part of town in in Nottingham. Um, I've had very very many happy experiences there. Can't wait to go back. Amazing. So um, there's a nice bit of serendipity for you there. So um, if you want to find out more about them and how you can support them, go to broadway.org.uk. This one comes from Phil Collins, apparently. It's the Genesis Cinema in Mile End in London, and they have Yay. a membership you can buy on their website. So a shout out would be amazing. Uh, not a problem. Uh, and that is genesiscinema.co.uk if you want to check out what they are doing and how you can buy, buy vouchers which are valid for 12 months etc etc uh, one last one we had lots of requests obviously for shout outs we will be giving shout outs to other cinemas next week as well um, one more one uh, and it's another London based cinema Rich Mix Rich oh, Mix yeah. in London which is selling uh, memberships galore and you can check out what they're doing at richmix.org 
cinemacomes.uk. And once again, we have to stress that we hope that every cinema comes through this. Uh, and we all, we know that not everybody can dip their hands in their pockets. And it's a very, very tough time. But if you can, if you can find it in your heart and your pocket to support these cinemas, then please do so. Rich Mix has wallpaper that's almost as good as David Diggs. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, once again, I want to take this opportunity as well. Uh, we had Terry uh, White, our editor-in-chief in the podcast last week, making an impassioned plea as well. But please support Empire as well during this time, if you can. Uh, if what we do on the podcast or in the magazine means anything to you in any way, uh, then please do support us. Uh, you can buy the magazine. You can subscribe to the magazine, of course. We have an incredible offer on at the moment where you can subscribe for just £5. New subscribers, of course. £5 will get you three magazines, uh, which isn't bad in consecutive months. You don't just get three at the same time. That would be far too much work for us, quite frankly. So, uh, But you will get three magazines for for the princely sum of just £5. Uh, subscribers get incredible bespoke subscribers covers. We are continuing to work really, really hard on the magazine. You can subscribe via empireonline.com. There is a, a page on the website there. Or go to greatmagazines.co.uk. And of course, you can support the podcast as well uh, by subscribing to our spoiler special subscription channel, uh, which is glow.fm forward slash empire film. Uh, and if you want to check my pin tweet out on Twitter at Chris Hewitt uh, for details of how to subscribe to that. We are hitting you with loads of stuff. We're doing weekly Mandalorian spoiler specials uh, next week. I'm hoping that we're going to have a retro spoiler special for The Raid with Gareth Evans, the aforementioned Gareth Evans, who will be taking us through uh, the finest action movie of the last 30 years and how he uh, he made the madness happen on screen. Can I shout out one more cinema? Seeing as I'm in the rotating chair, can I shout out one more cinema very quickly? Um, I would love to shout out the Tyneside Cinema in Newcastle, which is one of my absolute favourites. Um, had so many amazing experiences there. I was in Newcastle for four years at university um, and they did incredible all-night marathons uh, kind of like they do at the Prince Charles here, but every single ticket was 50p. So you could Whoa. buy sort of something for everything in the marathon to do the full 24 hours and it would cost you like a fiver. It was amazing. I saw Evil Dead 2 for the first time there. Uh, I'd never seen it before. It was three o'clock in the morning. It was a packed house. The crowd was absolutely incredible. When when Ash said groovy, everybody <laughs> shouted groovy at the same time. It was like one of the... That stands as one of my all-time favourite cinema experiences. Workshop. It was, I think it was that one where I saw The Thing and then Evil Dead 2, then went to bed for four hours, came back and did The Princess Bride, Jurassic Park, Goodfellas and something else. The whole thing cost like four quid. It was absolutely incredible. I love the Tyneside. Uh, opened by Ridley Scott's ancestor. His Ooh. like great granddad, great Sir granddad Ranulph or something. Scott. It's been around for like a hundred years. Great yeah, Scott. he's like proper... <laughs> The, the great Scott himself. Yeah, I love the Tyneside um, and they do amazing things. You can buy gift vouchers and uh, I think they do memberships as well. So um, if you're in Newcastle or Tyneside in general, uh, if you're up that way, throw them a bit of support. Tremendous, tremendous. And if you want to ha have your cinema get a shout out on the podcast um, that's a really an elegant sentence but I'm going with it uh, do get in touch with us use the hashtag celebrate our cinemas uh, or just get in touch with me DM me uh, or just respond to me on Twitter and um, we will shout out as many as we can every week um, so there we go fantastic stuff celebrate our cinemas 
So, um, before we get into our second guest this week and the reviews section, Ben has to leave us because he's doing something very cool for the magazine. Yes, I have to go back to my home planet, so uh, I have to disappear, but it's been lovely to be back on the regular pod, uh, and I'm looking forward to our next Mandalorian spoiler special next week. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, more Baby Yoda chat. We've spoken about Baby Yoda for, well, I was going to say at length, probably more than he Mm -hmm. needs, but um, I think there's no such thing as too much Baby Yoda chat. So if you agree, then sign up to the spoiler specials and we'll we'll chat your ear off about uh, baby yoda's ears which are uh, adorable they are indeed <laughs> adorable uh all right ben fuck off oh okay so now ben has gone it is time for our second guest this week and it is prentice penny who is a writer producer slash showrunner of uh, insecure the Issa ray show which is on hbo and now he is the writer director of the netflix movie uncorked which is about a young black man making his way into the world of wine tasting doesn't sound exciting, but I really like this film enough to seek out Prentice Penny uh, and have a good old chat with him via Squadcast. Again, the sound quality here, I haven't heard back yet. I'm going to be editing it after this. Um, it may be slightly more muddy on this one, but uh, nevertheless, we had a, a, a good time chatting about the origins of this movie. And of course, Insecure returns in the States this Sunday on HBO. I don't know when it's going to air over here, but if you are in the States and you do fancy watching season for uh, and uncorked is a nice little double bill that is yours to do as of sunday anyway here i am having a chat with prentice penny enjoy delighted to be joined remotely once again on the empire podcast by the director of uncorked prentice penny how are you sir i'm good i'm good i'm good how are you yeah not too bad not too bad all things considered i always feel like i have to add that caveat now <laughs> all things considered <laughs> it's a it's a strange time it is a strange very strange time uh, how are you coping uh, I'm coping. I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to, so I, I want to say I'm crushing it. <laughs> I mean, compared to what they were doing in 1918, I think I'm doing great. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wonder how they did podcasts back then. I mean, they, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, how did they get their Amazon Instacart? I don't, I don't understand. I, I got mine. I don't know how. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I mean, I got mine. So. <laughs> Yeah, it must have been a real struggle for them. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I'm, I'm sure a lot of black people were struggling real. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm doing I'm boring. sure. <laughs> Let's turn the clock back 102 years and see, yeah, see how what, things were Yeah, this is what Dr. King marched for, right? The black people. Hey, wait, whoa, don't blame me. I had nothing to do with this. This is, <laughs> this is, <laughs> don't bring me into this. Okay, but uh, no, it's I'm good to say okay. that you. I'm good, okay. It's I'm good. good. <laughs> Excellent. I, uh, I managed to get a grocery delivery slot the other day for like at the end of the month. I did a little dance of joy. That's kind of where I am in my yeah. life at the moment. But I'm just saying, uh, wait, like I ordered something on Sunday. It's coming on Friday. I was like, great. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. You are absolutely nailing this. Um, so, um, but congratulations on Uncle. I, I really enjoyed the film um, and I'm sure you're getting an awful lot of, of feedback as well from people who are who are discovering it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like it's been too twofold, right? I think like part of it has been, like you're saying, like kind of finding it kind of randomly and kind of haphazard, like, you know, how people are finding content these days. And then I think there's also been very targeted. I think there are also uh, a lot of people of color that have been like, 
I've been wanting to see other representation and other imagery of myself. And so almost like they knew about it, um, either through my work from Insecure or just mm. from like, just from like DC Nash or Courtney B. Vance, who are obviously starring in it. And I think just, I, I was weirdly surprised that I thought I had a pretty good handle on like the people of color in the world of wine. And, and, I, and, and I'm just using this as an example, uh, mm. but I knew like, I knew, I thought I knew maybe 50% of the t- types of stuff and I knew maybe 10. Like I was really surprised that how much of, of that world just came out on top of just, again, people of color who are just like, you know, wanting to see th- their life being reflected without, I've, I've been saying a lot that like, it's a movie that's talking about our beauty and not our burden. Um, yeah. and so that's, that's been, I think what people have, especially right now, you know, where obviously the world is kind of in a crazy place just to see something that feels very slice of life, uh, in a way that like movies that have other white father son dynamics, like, you know, Goodwill hunting or chef or Manchester by the sea, where it's just sort of, you know, regular, they just have issues as people. Yeah. Um, and yeah. typically felt like father son stories like ours usually are about the father being absent as the, as the source of their conflict. And not just yeah. they just have issues as two people. So I feel like th- th- some people have found it. I get like you're saying very kind of. Oh, I didn't even know what, what's this thing. And then some people yes. are like, oh no, I've been wanting to find something like this. It's fascinating. I've read I've read interviews with you about this movie, Prentice, and and it's it's clearly the father son story that that anchors the film is where you started. Um, and the wine component didn't come in until much later. Yeah, <laughs> which which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I re- re- really knew that I had wanted to write a father-son story. I had become a father, and so talking about um, it made me just understand my father in a different way. That I think, like any any time you go through an experience that your parents have gone through, whether it's college or you know marriage or whatever those things are, you just have a different appreciation. I think if you if you you know, because as a kid you're kind of judgmental. You're like, oh, this is this is right or wrong, and and obviously as you get older, things become more nuanced, right? There are more shades of gray because you're having to figure them out too that are challenging. And fatherhood was something that I thought I, I was very judgmental about my father about, um, like a lot of sons. And as I became a father, I was like, oh man, you were just like a 25, 26 year old guy. You know, I was 30, it wasn't my thirties. And I was still having mm-hmm. a tough time. And he was a guy in his twenties trying to balance, a, tr- trying to run a business and trying to be a father like, at a, such a young age. And so it just made me appreciate um, what, what he was going through and, and the challenges that he might have been feeling or facing or and the rejection of like a son saying he doesn't want to do that. Like I was like, not that I need my sons to go down my path, but I could only imagine. I knew how much I love my boys. And I was just like, man, I, if I wanted them to do something that that rejection would, would, would crush me. And so I, I started to understand why my father responded um, in certain ways and responded more out of anger or hurt or frustration as opposed to being like, you know, you know, men aren't the most honest about our communicative, about our feelings anyway. So, you know, why it didn't come out, you know, more honest. And so, so saying all that to say is obviously the, like the line. So I knew I wanted to do that world. I wanted to be a writer, but nobody wants to watch a movie about a guy writing at a typewriter. And so uh typewriter, computer, what am I talking about? And so, uh, <laughs> back in 1918 again, <laughs> back, yeah, back in 1918. And, uh, but I knew that I wanted to do something kind of elevated. And so um, at the time, I was reading all these interesting articles about um, young black opera singers who were in their 18, 19, 20, 25. They grew up listening to hip hop and how that was infusing their opera and like influencing. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's not something you typically see people of color. And I didn't know there were so many young black opera singers. And I just thought that's an interesting mm. arena. And then I took a trip to Paris. I'd never been there. And I just got I was on a wine drinker even before the movie. I was writing it. And so but on this trip, I just got super into it. 
And I was like, oh, this should be what the son should want to do. And then obviously, like, later you realize, like, you know, food and wine. I mean, these weren't thoughts that I was thinking initially, right? You're just like, oh, food and wine. Those are, like, natural pairings. Mm -hmm. and, and But they're not pairing in the movie as father and son. And then, you know, you know, wine is regional. Barbecue is regional. You know, um, like, you, yeah. you know, like, like, you can be meticulous about the grapes, meticulous about the wood. Like, then there became... And then the one thing that I think connected all those things was that obviously, like, I feel like, you know, I have a, I have two boys and the one that is the most like me is the one that frustrates me the most. And so I felt like that's <laughs> how, sort of how the father and son were. It's like they're both so obsessive about the thing that they love. And that's what frustrates them is that they're too similar. I don't drink at all. I'm a, I'm a teetotaler, have been my entire life. Uh, my wife takes care of the wine drinking side of things for both of us so that's okay. <laughs> that's all good so she she but i still really connected with the film despite that because it is it's about striving for excellence i'm i love movies that are almost procedural in the way that they will show really smart people going about their business in a very yeah. methodical fashion and uh i thought it was really really interesting when it, you stripped back the world of of uh, being a sommelier and you know i've doing some reading up around it i mean it, it, this is an insanely difficult thing it's crazy to get into it's a it's so it's so crazy i mean you're talking about the master psalm is like there's less than 300 of them in the whole world i mean that's i mean it's like there's no the doc i mean like taking your like your medical boards or they're like taking the lsat is like it does not compare to anything to something like this it's it's an insane test absolutely and uh, and, and in terms of in terms of African-American people being involved in that world. What, is, is there an awful lot of that? You said you were talking, you started off with young black opera singers. Are there lots of young black men, young black women trying to break into the sommelier world? A hundred percent. There's a, there's a ton and there's more than I think what you, what people would assume, you know what I mean? I think you go like, Oh, it's a fair, but it's also like what I was, what I didn't realize was again, there, I mean, there's a lot of, and not just as people that own the vineyard, but people that, again, source the grapes and make their own wine, which is a different thing than having to own the land, too. Right. And so uh, but also, too, which is like uh, also what I wasn't also considering were like people who are, you know, and like not just songs, but people who are wine buyers, people of color who are wine journalists. You know, there's lots of like areas that mm. I hadn't really necessarily considered about the way you occupy this world. And there were lots of ways in which that happens that aren't the, again, that, are, that, that isn't the Samra. And I think that's what I was really surprised by. I was like, I just, yeah, I just didn't even consider it. And I don't know, and I don't know why I didn't consider it. I, I just didn't. And so, uh, but yeah. It's, it's a fascinating film in terms of the way that uh, Elijah, uh, not only his relationship with his parents, but the way he, he is driven, the way he drives himself. Because you get a feeling in the movie that he maybe hasn't been that focused in his life, that maybe he has let one or two things slip through his fingers in, in, in his life. And in a, in a way, and I don't know whether this was an influence, it, in a way it reminded me of Whiplash. In, mm -hmm. in that that is a movie entirely. I mean, it doesn't have the necessarily the antagonistic figure of the yeah. J.K. Simmons. I mean, I guess Courtney B. Fans isn't antagonistic to, a, to an extent, but there's a warmth there. But it's certainly about a guy who is entirely focused on his goal, almost to the detriment of everything else in his life. Yeah, it's so funny you say that. Like that was another movie that I used, and I had a lookbook, and um, you know, uh, like Goodwill Hunting was in the lookbook of the style of thing. Moonlight obviously has a lot of father son element, and Whiplash was was the other movie that I had in there as a father son dynamic that obviously has obviously again to your point more antagonistic father son relationship, but nonetheless a a father figure who is pushing, uh, even if it's in a negative way, the son to want to 
you know, achieve the goal and, and how far are you willing to go? You know what I mean? What level of commitment do you mm-hmm. have to this? And again, that's again, uh, also too another slice of life movie, right? It's just a guy who wants to be a drummer. Like there's nothing like, if you just think about the premise of whiplash on its, on its feet, there's nothing super like sexy or it's just like, yeah, this guy's just going to going to music college and he wants to be a drummer. You know, he wants to be the best drummer, but he wants to be a drummer nonetheless. It's not like a, a flashy log line. And I think that would, but again, to your point is like, how do you, you know, for us, a lot of it was like, how do you, how do you elevate Whiplash? And I think that's what he did is like elevated cinematically in the way it's shot, in the way it's, it's in the way it's made, right. To elevate it kind of Mm. past its, past its log line. I think those were similar things we tried to do, right. How do you elevate this movie out of Memphis, out of the world of wine and, and make it, you know, make it feel like it has a little bit more scope. And so we also tried to make, that was a movie we used as a reference of how do we do something that's a small story and make it feel like it has bigger um, scope to it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really it's a really interesting field that you've chosen as well because wine is all about taste, and taste is a really difficult thing to convey cinematically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. How did you? And it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, I, there's probably a, a version of this film, and it's probably a terrible version of this film <laughs> where you're doing lots of flashy camera work, and it's going into Elijah's mouth and up his nose, and we're seeing all the effects <laughs> of everything. And <laughs> thank Christ, you didn't yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, but can you talk about your visual approach to that? I mean, how the hell do you even begin to convey something like that in a movie like? this yeah i mean i think the the thing for us was like a couple of things right it's like i was saying like we wanted to give a scope so like the first thing we did is like we sh- shot it anamorphic right we shot it two three five because we were like oh like we want to feel memphis is bigger and obviously you want to shoot these sort of landscapes of of paris bigger um you know and a lot and a lot of it sometimes was just in our our our, our, sh- our shot choices right so so um you know not wanting to do that right like sometimes it was like a lot of things i wanted to do was just let the performances live as they are and not cut as much. You know, sometimes I would just be on one take, like I'm not shooting any coverage. This is much more interesting farther away or uh-huh. or this is much more interesting from behind or this is much more interesting in silhouette, right? And and how do you yeah. create a, a feel and a vibe? Like one of my, one of the shots that we, just to give an example, like there's a shot when he's about to, when he's getting the results of the test. And one of the things that I, at least I wanted you to feel was his life is kind of coming into focus. His life is sort of coming into view. And we sort of let, let the camera be still and let him step into focus and not know the results in that moment. And again, it's just like, how do you again do these things that, you know, sometimes in the world of television, you can't fully do because, you know, TV, mm-hmm. as even as progressive as TV is now, there's still certain, you know, you're trying to mimic a style of the episode that came before it. So you kind of can't take as many chances um, yeah. as, as you might want to in the movie. Cause you're like, well, this just exists as a two hour block and whatever it is before or after doesn't exist. Right. And so, I th- so there were things like that that we tried to do. And then also, you know, music wise and music choice, like uh, my biggest thing was how do you, you know, I feel like when people of color step into a world, we still bring ourselves. And I think the expected choice would it be have this sort of like classical music. And to me, I was like, well, this is sort of a clash of culture, right? Of these sort of yeah. black people coming into this world. And I don't want to feel like when we step into a world that we get washed out. I was like, he's still bringing himself. Like I was like, before the test, he's probably is listening to some like Yo Gotti to get pumped up. You know, he probably is getting into a space <laughs> like that. And so, so for me, I wanted you to hear us in that world as opposed to he, he's disappearing and all of his culture and identity is disappearing when he steps into that world he's like he's still him uh, and Mamadou's incredible in this film um, Mamadou's awesome and he's 
uh, where did you discover him? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, we looked at a lot of people, and I met Mama Do. I one of those. It's one of those things too when you meet somebody early on, and you're like. I think Mamadou was like maybe like the first or second. I just had a meeting with Mamadou like this. He was in he was in New York, and he just read the script, and we just vibed immediately. And I was like, this can't be. I can't have met him already. Like this was like the second person I talked to, and I was like, that's not how this works. <laughs> and I met with like so many other people and saw so many other auditions, and then it was like he was filming. I don't. I don't, he might have been filming the front runner. I can't remember what he was working on, and he put himself. I was like, oh, when is this Mamadou tape coming in? When is Mamadou stuff? I was getting so. I was like, man, this is, and I, we saw so many good people, but when I saw Mamadou 10 seconds in, I was just, he, he was, uh, the first scene he did was the, was the dinner table scene. And, uh, and then he did the, 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 the wine, like hip hop scene. And I was just like, oh, he's, per- he's perfect. <laughs> I mean, perhaps the biggest compliment you can pay to that, that scene, the wine hip hop scene, as you, as you say, is that it feels really improvised. Uh, oh, the movie feels the, the movie feels so lived in and feels so naturalistic. Do, do you allow a lot of improv, or do you just allow your? Actors yeah, absolutely. To- I mean, I think also like coming from the world of television, you know, and writing in TV so long. I think one of the things you learn is like brevity, right? One of the things you learn is like you try to hear what's organic talk and what's like a joke that feels like you're pushing a joke versus like you know what's a character based joke, right? So it feels like it's coming from that person. It feels like they're making it up even if they're not. So like the hip hop scene was totally scripted. There's not an ad lib line. The only ad lib line we actually said at the end when I was like, when I was like, well, oh, when you walk away, you should be like, I fucks with Drake. Like, I, and that was just a line I came up with on the day. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, but totally. I mean, I love improv um, as long as it's character based, but I love it. Like we would throw jokes out. Like uh, I think Sasha had an improv to joke where she's like, when she's in the medical office and she's telling the doctor, oh, that was my granny, she fell off the bed. Like, that was just her. And it was just so funny. Or when Bernard, uh, like the cousin is like, um, ooh, chapless. And he's like, oh, you know it's fancy because it's in cursive. Like, that was just him. And I was like, that's hilarious. Put that in, <laughs> you know. But I think it's like, if it works, like, that's amazing. And, and obviously, Nisi Nash had a bunch of amazing, great stuff. And so, but yeah, I think you like let people do what they do. And, um, the, you know, like yeah. the sister, when she's like, uh, in the barbecue restaurant and they're arguing, she and Mama do are arguing and she's like, this is a new blazer, stop. You know, and like all the, like those, <laughs> that was not in the script, that was just her. And I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> and so, cause it's all character, it's all character choices. Yeah. You know, and I think as long as they feel like they're character choices, you, you'll go with it. You know the way that the films have a disclaimer at the end where it goes, no animals were harmed in making this movie or there's no resemblance to people living or dead. It's just purely mm-hmm. coincidental. There should be also a line at the, at the end of the movie, no scripted lines were harmed in the making of this production. It was, <laughs> <laughs> there was, you know, there was, there was no improv. Or you should have a little symbol that comes up in the corner of a scene where someone's it. going, oh, this is such a great scene. And it goes, no improv in this scene. <laughs> Maybe you can let it go. I love that. Um, but I think but, that's a big Courtney, compliment is that people feel like yeah. it is. I think that's a great compliment to all their performances, for sure. I just I just wanted to ask one last thing before I let you go. I mean, obviously, you've got uh, season four of, of Insecure coming out on on Sunday as well. Yeah. And which means you're, you're a very, very busy guy at the moment. Um, but has did Insecure help you get this film made? Is this the, was Insecure the thing that, that kind of lit a, a fire under you in a way to, to, to make a film or was this something that you were always heading towards anyway? I mean, I always wanted to like direct. I mean, that was always a thing that I wanted to uh, get back to after college. Um, I think, I, I mean, obviously it, 
any success you have is helpful, you know, in terms of, you know, what people think you can do. Um, I had directed on Insecure by then. So in some, you know, I got to like get back in the directing chair in a very safe way um, and watch many other amazing directors like Melina, mm. like Kevin Bray, mm-hmm. you know, Debbie Allen. Like I, I over the course of and mm. got to watch many different styles of directing and many different um, and also like just to me, like the human part of directing, which is like forget the technical part. Right. Sometimes of who we are, our insecurities, no pun intended, like play out in the director's chair. Right. Like if you're somebody who feels like they always have to have the right answer, well, that plays out in the director's chair. Right. So there were so many things I had to like kind of get over, not necessarily negative things, but just like, you know, like one of the things that obviously when you work in television is like you're you, it's a much more collaborative space than making a movie. Right. And so there were times I had to like shift my mental. And that's how I've been operating for the last, you know, 17 years in television, which is very, very, you know, you have a writer's room, you have multiple directors. So you, it's always very, very, very yeah. collaborative. But when you're making a movie, it's kind of like it's your thing. There's no writer for me to look back to. There's no directors. There's no like <laughs> network. I have to like there's no episode before. Yeah, there's nobody around. It's like it's you. And so I had to kind of I had to learn, oh, it, it's just you and you're fine and you'll make choices and you'll make mistakes. And that's a, it'll all be yeah. OK. And I had to just kind of get past that so outside of a tech outside of the technical stuff i was able to learn i got to watch other directors who weren't hung up on those things and kind of had gotten past those things just as human beings um and and what they bring to a direct as a director and so but um but yeah of course like you know being on the show was was helpful i don't it, i don't think it was actually a super I, I don't know how much it influenced eventually us making the movie i think at a certain point people just go Am I into this movie or not into this movie? You know what I mean? But obviously, the more you know credit you have, say, like, oh, he can pull this off, obviously, the better that, that certainly goes. And, and what I the, the biggest shift I noticed was it made me a better director. I'm a better, I directed the finale this year, and I was much more like, let's try this, let's do, like, I was much more pushing the envelope creatively, I think, having had done the movie. Because now I was seeing things from a much more, even the way we were breaking the story, it helped me from a directing standpoint, even break the episode much more visual Mm -hmm. than it would have had I, because my mind is always going to, I think, default writer, just because that's where my, I feel like that's where I started. And so that's just my my natural inclination. But having done the movie, I could definitely see the difference between how I directed before and how I directed this year. Was it was it a difficult movie to get made? Yeah, I'm, yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> two black men <laughs> where it's like a father and son in Memphis talking about wine. Yeah, it's a little tough. Uh, uh, I think it was. I think I think it was tough for a few reasons. I mean, obviously, one when, when I wrote it, I was still on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Insecure wasn't even a thing yet, so you know there were there were lots of things. And I think if the movie I got made earlier, I wouldn't have been ready for it. You know, I, I think the movie would be a different movie in a lot of ways, and. Um, so I think it all happened at the right time, but I think, I mean, cause again, none of these, none of the, there's no parts of this movie that you go, oh, there's like, I have five uncorked on my desk that, that I can, if I, you know, it's just like, it's, you know, two black men in Memphis, a father, son trying to connect. And the, like the black guy goes to Paris to study wine. He's bike riding through the streets. Like where, where is like, where that at? You know? So, uh, and also too, like the perception of what the movie should be too. So like also times people would want me to make the movie to be like, well, what's it like for a black man he should, we should be watching his struggles and i was like that's not really the point of the movie so like I, there's times i, I didn't want to like make the movie be something else just to get made either you know i was like i kind of wrote this special and so i'm not pressed if i have to i've waited two years what's another what's another year you know and so it, it definitely had <laughs> it, it definitely had it definitely it was challenging to get made for sure 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you uh, you managed to get it made, and uh, I want to thank you for, for taking the time to do this. Absolutely. Uh, this. Thank you for having me, for sure. This really strange way of doing podcasts, but we're getting there, we're getting there slowly but surely. <laughs> so, I think by, uh, I think by 2118, we'll have it figured out. <laughs> yeah, it'll be my frozen head, severed frozen head, and a charm. It'll be us talking as holograms. It'll be hologram of that. <laughs> All right, we'll be back here 100 years to see if our prophecies came true. Uh, Prentice Penny, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much, indeed. Thank you. Okay, so that was Prentice Penny, and uh, now it's time to get into the reviews portion of the show, because once again, there are films that are out this week, thank Christ. And um, Jimbo, one of those movies, we'll get it uncorked in a second, but one of those movies is Trolls World Tour, which was meant to be out in the cinemas... (laughs) <laughs> it's meant to be out in the cinemas and is now one of these super duper rentals that you can get in your home. Premium rental, I believe is what they're being called. What I do mean, we make of this one? The sequel to Trolls. It's definitely a rental. I mean, I'll give you that. Uh, so if, if you, like me, were unfortunate enough to sit through the first Trolls movie, it was very fizzy pop, bubblegum, trolley so hair. Colorful. So colourful. So colourful. Uh, nauseatingly. I mean, look, it wasn't terrible. It was fine. And this is more of the same. So uh, the first one ended with the trolls living happily, having discovered their jam. And it turns out in this one that their jam is not the only jam because the pop-loving trolls are merely that, pop trolls. And there exist other tribes of trolls. So this film opens with the techno trolls, which may be the single greatest thing to ever grace cinema. Uh, and the techno trolls are laying some <laughs> bangers in a club underwater for some reason Wait they the are mermaids They're they mermaids. are mermaids until the rock trolls turn up and queen barb of the rock trolls wants to turn techno into rock and it feels a lot like uh this is kind of a subplot that was cut from uh, the jack black film school of rock but no um and so rock is trying to take over the world and so all the other different types of uh, of troll it turns out there are many different uh, sort of races of troll there are like techno trolls country rolls trolls funk trolls k-pop trolls there are all these yodel ones. trolls yodeling trolls <laughs> and each one of them has their own type of music and of course this film goes on and on and it naturally builds towards a kind of multi-genre mashup banger fest at the end um but the, the, what i took really from this whole film is the basic underlying plot of this film the thread of this film is that pop ruins music now this is this is genuinely the thread of the film and i was like this whole film's plot is based on how every conversation i ever had in the 90s began which is that pop is the death of music and the rock should rule uh so i was Jackson quite on Maine board said this yeah. in stars born <laughs> <laughs> she was quite on board with the central message of this whole film and the fact that Sam Rockwell turns up as a centaur. But, uh, and Not the Sam fact Popwell, that thing, obviously. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but the, I mean, look, the, like I said, the, the whole idea it's, the whole idea of this is that the rock trolls are the bad guys and the pop trolls are the good guys, except all the way through, I felt very much on board. I mean, you could say this is a character quirk of mine, but I felt very on board with the villains of this and wanted rock to wipe pop out for good. But it actually goes further than that because at one point it turns into an entire discussion of a pro- cultural appropriation yes, by does. the pop trolls. The pop trolls have and the dangers of colonialism, basically. There, is um, a, there are a lot of layers to this. I mean, there there's one layer to this. <laughs> <laughs> it's but it's it's genuinely like I kept. I genuinely felt like somebody had spiked my tea with something, which would be impressive because you know isolation. It's so demented this film the techno troll rave is just the techno trolls, by the way of course it. 
That, the king, I believe, of the Techno Trolls is voiced by Anthony Ramos, who we just heard about in the Hamilton reunion. <laughs> but like, I mean, the, you know, great voice cast, Rachel Bloom as the mm. as Queen of Rock. See, Justin um, Timbants and Anna Kendrick returning. Of course, of course. And, you know, also James Corden, but we can't mm. have everything. But um, it's just <laughs> so much. It's so bizarre. It's very... Very colourful. Look, this is one of those things where, like, you know, like, and I think Ollie mentions this in his review, like, like Smurfs and Angry Birds, this is as much product as it is film. Mm. And But the thing is, Angry Birds is fucking hateful, and Smurfs isn't far off. The thing I will say about Trolls is, it may not be a masterpiece, but it is not hateful. There's something about this that's actually quite likeable. Like, it's a wildly average kids film, but it's not... You know, it's fine. Like, it ha- and I enjoyed the the sort of the, the musical pits in this. Uh, I liked the big sort of genre mashup. I enjoyed the rocking. I enjoyed the techno. I very much enjoyed the yodeling. Um, yeah, like, I, I, look, this is, of course, 90 minutes. I'm never going to get back. But I will say, if you have kids and you want a film to watch with them, there are more hateful things than this to watch. I mean, so, The Queen you know, of Rock Is that a recommendation? F- Maybe. <laughs> the Queen of Rock does fly around in a leather piranha spaceship thing so i mean that that alone is surely worth the price of admission power cords oh there's all sorts going on uh and the country trolls are quite entertaining okay i could have done with better music that was my big kind of apart from it being insane that was my real problem with this i didn't think the music was that great this time although there is a moment where they they roll out some pop hits to try and convert the country trolls oh yeah those are dreadful and one of them is cotton eye joe and one of them's like yeah that was a step too far cotton eye joe was a step too far (laughs) yes yes it was that's a life lesson for you there um yeah trolls world tour touring now but not trolls world tour home no, yeah, absolutely. Available in your living room. Uh, and we gave this two, for a small two stars. Two yes, stars. we did indeed. Two stars for Trolls World Tour. Sounds like if you have wildly average kids, it'll be right up their street. <laughs> All right. So two stars then for Trolls World Tour. Um, next up, Helen, let us get on to Uncorked. Uncorked. Yeah, so this is a this is a cool film actually. I, I enjoyed this. Um, you you raved about it a couple of weeks ago, so I went on and watched it on Netflix, and it stars Mamadou Athi, who I think is fantastic. He he was in the Get Down. He was great in the Get Down. He was in Paddy mm-hmm. Cakes, where he played the goth. If you remember oh, yeah. in Paddy Cakes, he was brilliant yep. at that. Um, he's a really likable guy, and here he plays Elijah, who's a young man who is working in his dad's barbecue uh, place. Um, his dad played by Courtney B. Vance. Um, and uh, alongside his mum, uh, Sylvia, who's played by Nisi Nash. And he's kind of, he knows he wants something else in life, but he isn't quite sure what. But he's really interested in wine. He, he, he hangs out a, a lot at the wine shop. He does the wine buying for his dad. And it's something that he's really fascinated by. And he starts to think maybe this could be the career for him. Maybe he could become a master sommelier and, you know, that could be his thing. His dad is very sceptical. He's like, you've always had these great ideas and you always give up and it's always a waste of time and money. But he thinks that this one might stick. But it is, of course, Mm -hmm. like one of the hardest qualifications to get. It's expensive. It's exclusive. It's not something that any of his friends or family know much about or have much interest in, particularly beyond thinking, oh, this wine is nice. Um, but it's something he's really passionate about and kind of pushes forward. And uh, and yeah, it's it's really about can he do it? Can he balance his family, his friends? He's got a, a new girlfriend, Tanya, played by Sasha Comper, 
you know, what's, is he going to make it this time? Is this going to be another thing that he tries and kind of fails? So it's it's a really nice, low scale, a character study of, of Elijah himself mm. and family drama of, of his his little world around him. Um, it is not one to watch on an empty stomach because the barbecue looks freaking amazing. Um, and if you're a wine drinker, it's probably a, a kind of torture not to watch it with a, a glass in your hand, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, two teetotalers here talking about this movie. But but the fact that we both enjoyed it, I think, speaks to the quality of the drama, you know. They are just really likable people and you get really involved in this in this family life. There's some fantastic dinner table scenes, which is something that's actually quite hard to do, I think, as a dramatist. You know, every director I've ever spoken to says they're one of the hardest things to shoot, to rehearse. You know, you've got so many moving parts. You have to keep moving the camera and doing everything over again. Um, but they've got a real kind of family energy here and, and it feels like a real group of people and I think they're just really well done that, that way so you know this is a low key drama this is not mm. going to change your view on life the universe and everything but it is a really lovely character piece and a really lovely study of somebody stepping outside his own world and um, and trying to bring something back I think as well he's not he's not just kind of trying to leave forever he's trying to kind of bring his family and bring his friends with them and, and get them involved in this passion that he feels as well, which is lovely. Yeah, fully agreed. Last week I said that uh, Uncorked was a little bit like Standing Up, Falling Down, which is the Ben Schwartz, Billy Crystal comedy drama. Yeah, Emphasis on drama, more I say than comedy, uh, that we reviewed last week. And I said they were both similar in that neither of them are necessarily reinventing a wheel. Um, there are lots of familiar beats in both movies. We've mm. seen relationships like this before. We have seen arcs like this before, father-son arcs like this before. But at the same time, I thought both movies charmed and beguiled me enough to warrant further discussion um, and to warrant getting Prentice Penny on the podcast. And it does bring something new to the table as well, as we discussed with Prentice Penny, in that, you know, with a white guy at the centre, this is just another movie about someone trying to break into an industry or a profession or to master a skill. It's a sports movie in, in, in a lot of ways. But of course, what is interesting about it, what is new about it, is it, it is about a person of colour. It's about a black guy yeah. trying to make his way in a world that is very white. And therefore, it feels different. It feels mm. unusual. It feels interesting. And, and as a result, all those beats that you maybe feel we've seen in other movies feel different somehow. They feel enriched somehow. His relationship with his parents, who I think are the best movie parents since Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson <laughs> and Easy A, and I apologize if I'm repeating stuff that I've said in the interview, that they feel different. You know, that feels very, very yeah. lived in. That you know, that, that that they feel like like real people. There's a real humanity to this movie. And uh, I was utterly charmed by it. Uh, my wife and I drink a game. We're just noodling around one night on Netflix and didn't even know about the existence of this movie. So good job, Netflix. And um, and, and we were like, oh, what's this? What's this movie? And uh, so we, we, we checked it out. And yeah, absolutely right up our alley. And uh, it's it's a gentle drama, but with mm-hmm. winning performances. Um, Courtney B. Fans and Nisi Nash are fantastic. They're so good. They're so in good. This. Yeah. Uh, and as a teetotaler, listen, I don't think that this is in the same category as something like Chef. Chef, for me, is food porn. Chef is about the food that John Favreau makes in that movie. It is shot mm-hmm. beautifully. It is shot uh, lasciviously, almost. 
This movie doesn't do that. It is a little bit more matter of fact about things. Uh, so, you know, it could have been a really flashy movie. It could have been really flashy in terms of trying to portray what it's like to drink wine. It's, you know, I don't know what it's like to drink wine. As far as I'm concerned, it all tastes like vinegar. But mm-hmm. I think I'm wrong. <laughs> There's an entire <laughs> industry dedicated to that. But I'm, I'm, I, it's interesting that it didn't do that. You say the barbecue looks, looks terrific in this film, but the camera doesn't linger on it. It, it doesn't, doesn't linger. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah. It's not about the barbecue. Um, mm. It's not about that. It's about something else. And in in that regard, I thought this was an absolute triumph. Now, we don't have an official Empire review for this movie yet. Um, but if we were to have a review for this movie, I'd probably go four stars for this. So, uh, which is one of the reasons why Princess Penny's on this podcast. It really impressed me. So I really wanted to talk to him. So I'm going to say four stars. I don't know whether you'd be low four, high three, whether you'd be in the, the same yeah, camp. Yeah, some, somewhere there, it. I think. I, th- I just I, I just find um, Mamadou himself particularly, I just find him just such a charming screen presence. Um, and he's and he's somebody who's been eye-catching in, in really tiny roles in pretty much everything he's done. And it's so good to see him getting a lead um, in something like this. So so I just, I just yeah, I was charmed by it, uh, like yourself. So mm. definitely at least a high three. But when I, if, I, if I had to write it, it might well come up. Okay, either way, it's a recommendation. Yeah. Uh, go and check it out. It's on Netflix right now, Uncorked. And last but not least this week is another movie that would have been getting a theatrical release like Trolls World Tour, but is now available for uh, Curzon Home Cinema. And it is <laughs> Who You Think I Am. I may, I feel like you may be the first and only person ever to compare this to Trolls World Tour. So let's just take a moment <laughs> to enjoy that, shall we? Indeed. Uh, so this is a French drama directed by Safi Nabu. It is adapted from the novel, which obviously I know very well, by Camille Laurence. Um, if you're impressed by my French pronunciation, it's because I'm on day 47 of a Duolingo streak. And can I just say that uh, Dieu est un chouette, un chouette est un animal de compagnie. Yes, that's right, my friends. Dieu is an owl, an owl is a pet. Uh, anyway, <laughs> apparently, in, wow. in the world of in the world of Duolingo, an owl is a pet. I don't know. Mon Dieu! It's a what? what what's that mean? Uh, so this is uh, this is a terrific film um, directed by Safi Nabu, as I said, and it stars Julia Binoche, the great Julia Binoche, uh, as a professor of literature who gets embroiled in an affair with a younger man. Which all seems very straightforward, except it isn't, because she's catfishing him, and the younger man thinks that she is a younger woman, uh, but she has she's in her fifties now, and she has feelings about how she is perceived um, as as the aging process goes on, that she that, that men are beginning to overlook her and overlook her her charms, which are still plentiful because she's Julia Binoche. So she's coming out of a relationship with this guy called Ludo, uh, who has ghosted her. He's a much younger man. He just uses her for for uh, for the intercourse. And uh, she calls him one day and he ghosts her with his friend Alex. Alex picks up the phone and they're horsing around. She decides to form a Facebook persona to just try and have a bit of fun with Alex initially, a bit of fun with Ludo, but then she latches onto Alex a little bit. What happens and she doesn't expect it to happen is that they form a connection, which quickly, very, very quickly turns sexual. Uh, And so you have this very complicated drama told in flashback, and I'm not going to give it away, but there are many, many twists and turns in this. Um, but I thought this was really good. It's not a thriller per se, it's more of a psychological drama, but it's fascinating. And it's fascinating about the 
idea that we all construct personas and that we we hide behind things online and we hide behind uh, manufactured personas and um, and the emotional fallout of that as well. Mm. And uh, Julia Binoche, this is not going to be a shock to you, is terrific in this role as well. What? As things get, especially as things get more and more complicated and she has to balance her, her life and she gets a little bit more obsessed with with him, with Alex, who was played by Francois Civile. And uh, yeah, I thought was, this was really, really good. Really good, guys. Um, I'm not sure about the official Empire review once again. I'm not sure if it's up yet, uh, but I would give this four. I would give this an absolutely solid bang on four. And it is available. Curzon Home Cinema. Uh, there are other films out as well. Uh, on This week we have Love, Wedding, Repeat, for example, on Netflix, which we'll review on next week's show. And there's a couple of films on Disney Plus we haven't got around to talking about yet. And there are other things that will be coming along. So there's a nice steady stream of films for us to talk about. But as ever, we're in this really, really strange situation together. And we have said in the podcast that we will point you in the direction of other places to watch movies beyond your Netflixes and beyond your Amazon Primes, your Disney Pluses. Um, we're also bringing you updates every week on what's available on Mubi. And I kind of feel that the best way to do this now is to tell you about the movies that are leaving Mubi over the next seven days. So as you know, Mubi is a one-in, one-out policy. So they have 30 films on there at any given time. One goes every day and one, in, and one new film comes in. So over the next week or so, we're going to be losing on Mubi the likes of Old Boy, Park Chan-wook's Old Boy, uh, Jean-Pierre Melville's Army of Shadows, and Secretary, to name mm. but three. So, and there are fantastic art house movies from around the world on Mubi. Uh, and BBC iPlayer has been doing really, really something really cool as well. I mentioned a whole raft of incredible films that are free on the iPlayer last week. Um, they have started screening some real classics in the mid-afternoons, things like The Man in the White Suit, things like The Titfield Thunderbolt, Whiskey Galore, films like that, and they are now all available on the iPlayer as well as all those films I mentioned last week, the likes of Margin Call and and, uh, and Witness and Stronger, yeah. and things like that. So that's, that's tremendous. That's really good. I mean, if you get, these are Ealing comedies that are kind of sometimes hard to get hold of. So I know a mm. bunch of them came out in a box set a few years ago and I've got a few of those here, but otherwise they're kind of a hassle to get hold of. So you so have the chance now, so so yeah. go after them. Absolutely. I mean, for example, The Lady Killers, the original Lady Killers mm. uh, is available on Sky, but that's that's it. That's the only alien comedy that oh. they have. Another channel I want to point out as well is Talking Pictures TV, which is a wonderful uh, free service. Uh, you'll have it on your smart TVs, you'll have it in the sky, you'll have it in your virgin boxes, whatever it is that you use to get it here in the, in the UK. And they dedicate themselves to showing incredible films uh, from, well, all of cinema. But like, for example, this week, they, they what have they had in the past? They've had things like Seance in a Wet Afternoon. They've had Peeping Tom, the Michael Powell's Peeping Tom. Um, they've had uh, Hell Drivers, which is a great 1950s thriller uh, with a very, very young Sean Connery in a supporting role. Uh, so there's some terrific stuff on there every single day. Uh, so check out Talking Pictures TV as well. Anyway, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more remotely recorded film-related fun. <laughs> well, we'll be joined by, remotely recorded, of course, two guests. We'll be joined by the wonderful Michael Smiley. 
who will be on the podcast. I say this with caveats. These haven't happened yet, so there's every chance they might still fall through. And uh, and Ben Schwartz, uh, Sean Ralphio from Parks and Recreation, Sonic the Hedgehog from Sonic the Hedgehog, and star of Standing Up, Falling Down as well. But until then, until we meet again, until at a suspicious occasion, it is goodbye. We've already done Ben Travis. It is goodbye from James Dyer and his birds. Yes, I went away. I've come back and now I'm going away again. Goodbye. <laughs> cool. When I say when I say birds, I don't mean in a sort of 1970s like body. Lost in power. I don't mean that at all. No, 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 no not at all. Speaking of birds, it's goodbye from <laughs> Helen Hara. Goodbye. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> oh, God. And as for me, well, I'm off to take off my pants and have a lovely evening in front of the telly. But for the time being, I'm going to leave you with the soothing strains of James's birds. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Shut up! <laughs>